Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's time for another completely unnecessary podcast for Wednesday, September 23. Wow, we're already in the fall, 2015, alongside Ian Ferguson. I'm Pat Contry. We've got a lot of fun going on today. Retro gaming news, modern gaming news, maybe a strike, and uh, one one movie topic that will be fun because I'll be vindicated, and Q&A. On the show, we'll be discussing uh, Konami officially stopping AAA game production, uh, GameStop no longer bundling uh, with digital copies. No longer selling bundles with digital copies. Potential voice actors strike. Japanese games drying up due to U.S. consumers. The retro VGS uh, Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. That drama. Mighty Number no. Nine demo delayed. Another GameStop retro story. And my fun topic, as well as Q and A coming from you guys. Ian, what's going on? Not a whole lot. <clears throat> I've been uh, working on. Myself and my friends have been working on getting uh, a Dungeons & Dragons group together, actually, because, I mean, why not just buy in all the way to the the nerd image? <clears throat> um, it was something that I had oh. played in high school a bit, and uh, it was never any fun. Um, was never fun? I mean, it, well, it was fun, but, you know, it, it, D&D is all about the group of people you have, and... The DM being on the same page as the players and understanding what kind of difficulty they're looking for. DM is Dungeon Master for the Uninitiated. I'm pretty sure most people know what that is. And uh, it, it just, you know, it, these groups dissolved quickly. But, you know, we're older. We all kind of know what we want out of it. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. <clears throat> it, what, what's funny is... I didn't get an invite. Uh, you would role play? I could role play. Yeah. I have. That's a whole. That's my private conversation. <laughs> um, what was hilarious though is that I was talking to my parents today, and without even bringing it up, I was just catching up with them because I hadn't spoken to them in a week or so. And my mom was like, "Oh, you know, I'm working, and uh, you know, I started drawing again recently." And she's like, "And your dad and I are playing Dungeons and Dragons again." And I was like, "Wait, wait, wait a second! You're fucking kidding me! You guys are playing again?" Because they used to play all the time when when I was very very young. So I just find it interesting that. Uh, unaware of what I'm doing or what they're doing, um, we both got back into it at the same time. I don't know why you, you wouldn't think I'd be able to do it. Uh, by, not by that you wouldn't do it, that you wouldn't want to do it. Why wouldn't I? Because you're a fun. busy man and it's a regular thing. Well, busy, but I mean, if I had the time to do stuff like enjoy life again, that'd be something <laughs> I would like to do. I mean, it could be fun. Frank used to do it way back in the day. Oh, I believe it. But he was just a little bit too old to... You know, at the time when it came out to really get into it, you know, he sure. was like out of it. But well, there's all sorts of different ways that people will role play too. There are the people who really get into it and talk in character, which is not particularly my thing. I wouldn't do that. No, and then there are way. people who, I mean, the way I like to do it is, is is basically this: like I have to DM this time around, and, and, and what I've basically told people is, look, you don't have to get crazy into the role playing, but play your character the way you created it. So if your yeah. character is chaotic, 
good, then play them that way. If they're evil, you have to play them that way. That's, sure. that's all I require of you. Yeah. you know, uh, Stay consistent. It's like a stage play. Right, exactly. Play play your character within the, the, the boundaries that you created them, and that's that's all I need. If you want to speak in third person, if you want to say my character does X, as opposed to I'm going to venture forth, that, yeah. that's fine. I forgot what Frank says his character's name was. You got to ask him what the <laughs> what the uh, race of the character was. I, I forget what it was. It was like a mixture of two different ones, if, if that's possible. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, you can. There's like there's always been like half orcs, half elves. I think it was something like that. He told me, but he remembered the name. It was funny as hell to know. Friends. Yeah, it was that, and just saying it like that was just funny. That's funny. And it was a half orc, you know. It's funny how how into it some people. I mean, how how more no, mainstream th- it's become. I mean, I think it's fine. People I, I, aren't 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 ashamed of it anymore. It's something I, that lots of people do. I don't see why you'd be ashamed of something like that, where to me it's almost like just like a glorified, I mean, more than a board game, but it's just the same sort of thing. You get together. It's group storytelling. Yeah. With some fun, like, action, random elements thrown in. Whatever. Sure. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I wouldn't see a reason to make fun of that. Now, you show me some of those LARPing videos, then maybe that's a different story. But anyway, <laughs> um, we're going to be at the Retro Gaming Expo, October 17th and 18th. And we are. That's going to be exciting. We're going to do a podcast live, a guided podcast, because I think, according to the schedule, that'll be a week after the last one. So we could either do that for the next Wednesday or do a shortened one and do a short one after. So we'll have to play it by ear. Um, you're going to get two podcasts that week. And I'm going to be doing uh, my Pat the NES Punk uh, panel, or whatever I call it at this point, since what happened to, what happened to Pat the NES Punk? Who knows? Um, I'll get to that in a second. So that's going to be Sunday morning, and our podcast is on Saturday. How did I not get prime time? Oh well. Either way, it's fun. And come out, say hi to us. Uh, buy your retro wares there, and games. And uh, yep, I'll probably have my an, some sort of announcement for there, um, being that I'm working on this book project that is taking the life out of me. Not even slowly, just steadily. Um, but the good news is that it's like uh, turned the corner to the point where now it's just like waiting for the rest of the material to come in from other people. And just compiling it, which is a lot better than writing it. And so it's like, if I had to put an estimate of how much is actually compiled together, eh, I'd say two-thirds compiled. Because it's like, the way this works, folks, is that like you have the entries for all games, uh, this review book. So we're talking 750 plus. I think the, the final count in the North American section is like 760, something like that. Something like that. It's in that range. Um, so you have the the written parts for everything. I'm taking the amount enough written parts for everything and then you have you know like four screenshots per book excuse me per game you have a cart image which might look a little snazzier than you might expect per game and then you have to place that all on the page then you have a background image for each page as well which I decided I'm going to do that because you know what I need, I need an extra step to kill myself it looks nice it does look nice thank you Ian um, so that takes a lot of time to do that and so there's not just that there's going to be supplemental material you're going to have like something from uh, James Rolfe on the horror NES games uh, from Norman Caruso the gaming historian is going to have a little ditty on the uh, uh, Tengen uh, NES uh, lawsuit so that's going to be fun I'm going to have other writings in there uh, as well and there might be special sections as well if the space permits it and I have the foreword being done by uh, good old pal of mine I guess now his pal Blake Harris author, author of Console Wars is doing the foreword um, so, um, yeah, it's going to be cool, and it'll hopefully be for pre-order sometime in October. Knock on wood. In both digital and 
physical version. It's going to be a big book. It's going to be like 450 pages. It's going to be hardcover. You'll be able to kill someone with this book. It's killing me. Oh, but no, actually, you know, I'll, I'll be proud of it. I can't, it's hard to be, I'm the type of person where I'm hard to actually be proud of something until it's in my hand and done. So at this point, it's just sort of get it done, get it done, and then I could get back to the rest of my life, which includes, I mean, the podcast doesn't take a huge amount of time in terms of us sitting down. Rendering it, yeah, that's a little more, but I don't have to worry about it after a couple of days, usually. It's just, it's just monitoring it. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, a, it's like the, the podcast is like a plant. Initially, you got to do a lot of watering, and you put the dirt in, <laughs> then you water, then you look at it, and you do a little each day. But after that, you know, it takes care of itself for the most part. But something like Pat the Anius Punk is like uh, digging a ditch and throwing yourself into it. So it's a lot of work, and at the end, it's pain. Uh, but the good news about that is, though, I, I, I'll, I'm going to get back to that. When the book is done, I'm definitely going to get back to that. Uh, but I have a, a sort of a minor episode that I'm hopefully going to do for October, and hopefully a Halloween one. Once the book is done, I could concentrate on that, and then ah, uh, your 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 uh, your uh, now now traditional November fourth Halloween episode. <laughs> I don't appreciate that. Ian. I don't appreciate that one bit. Um, but then we might do the NES marathon. It's not set in stone yet. If we do do that, there's no way we could do it in October. I would, would have loved to do it for the. Uh, third anniversary, but we'll be at Retro Gaming Expo that weekend of the NES third anniversary is October eighteenth. So, but if we do, it'll be in November. But there'll be no announcements made until the book pre-order is set and done because then I, I cannot work on more than what I'm working on now. I just can't physically, and that's what's going on. So, Pat the NES Punk is not dead. He'll be back. Uh, I wish I could announce something else that has to do with me, uh, but I can't until that, that comes out as well. And that's been in the works for like four months, so that that could be cool. So. GameStop. Yes, GameStop um, came out. I think it was uh, late last week, and basically, uh, you know, said that they are no longer interested in selling uh, video game bundles that contain digital copies. Now, this has become something that uh, happens quite regularly in the realm of, of console sales. Um, I think I first started noticing it happening very frequently with uh, Nintendo consoles, uh, the 3DS especially. Um, very early on in the 3DS's lifespan, uh, they sort of started foregoing um, a physical version of the game for a digital copy that was already downloaded onto the system, or a, or or you got a code. Um, they did the same thing with the Wind Waker HD bundle. Now they didn't commit to it really solidly. For instance, the Mario Kart 8 bundle had uh, a physical copy, but uh, most recently, I believe it was the Xbox One and the P- the PS4. Um, had uh, system bundles that would come with a digital copy of Madden, and uh, the most recent Madden. And what GameStop did was is they created basically a third-party bundle, which is where they take their own physical systems and work out a deal with the publisher, such as EA, to give out a free copy of the physical game. Uh, I, I feel two ways about this. Uh, on one hand... I know a lot of people who really like physical copies of games, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's going to gain some favor for GameStop. Uh, I mean, if this story is more well known, Um, it's a pretty. I mean, I I think that what it is is it looks like a consumer-friendly move for people who are anti-digital. What's really going on here is GameStop is showing once again that they're kind of shaking in their boots here. 
the reason, the real reason a company like GameStop wants to include a physical copy with their systems uh, sales uh, if there's a bundle is not because it's going to make the customer happy. The customer is going to buy it one way or another if it has, has a free game. They're doing it because it creates copies of games that can come back into their mm-hmm. circulation. They don't make any money off of new games. Um, what are they making out of a six-hour game? Five dollars. Well, let's put it this yeah. way: if I'm making maybe two dollars off of a new game sale, they're probably making maybe ten dollars off of a new game sale because they will get better rates than we do. Okay. Um, and I find, so, but then again, now now if that game comes back to them and they pay twenty in credit for it and they sell it for fifty-five, now all of a sudden they're, they're making, making they're making bucks. yeah they're making a, a much larger margin. So. I mean the the article that we uh, the, the giant bomb article where this broke, uh, you know they they were, um, you know kind of making fun of GameStop and saying they got to get with the times and realize that this is how it's going to be done, and there is some truth to that. GameStop needs to uh, adjust their models on a lot of things real quick if they hope to stay competitive. Um, I mean, we see them flailing and trying all sorts of things. Separate stores for iPads and phones and things like that. Mm-hmm. Their retro initiative and now their- you know things like this. Um, but I do think that that's a little harsh. Uh, you know, people think that I'm constantly just bashing GameStop to bash GameStop. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that as many people are willing to adopt digital quite yet as perhaps the article is is jumping to conclusions about. Um, yeah, I, it's just the, the way of the world. Uh, there, there's going to be more and more people buying digital just because... Well, right now, a lot of times it's it's not cheaper, which to me is really strange. How it would even be you know ten bucks cheaper? Since you know, why wouldn't it be? Since there's no cost right to download it, there's no cost to ship somewhere. No, you, I agree you know, with that. Know, I mean, digital that should... to me is weird. Until until a Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo get that part figured out, then that would really lead to more. I think people digital because then, unfortunately, I, I always would buy physical over digital just because you can trade it, can sell it back. Right, that's a positive. Um, or transfer it to another system a lot easier, uh, so that's good. But uh, but in this case, yeah, GameStop just wants to make sure they're not out of business in five years. Right, you know? that, that's what that, it comes down to. But but I think they 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 should really look at it the other way and try to embrace it as much as they can. GameStop's going to be gone at some point. It's just when is it going to be gone? Right, fifteen years, twenty or five. You know that's probably what you're going to look at uh, with something like GameStop. Um, We're living in a game era where, and I've said it before, and you've said it before too. Whether it's this next generation or the generation after that, we are going to see something that is digital only. I mean, we've got Steam machines, which if you want to look at them as consoles are digital only. But the thing about Steam is there's constantly sales and games well, are very cheap. I'm not, I'm not sure we'll always, we'll always go to uh, digital only. I'll have to see it first because I think there might be backlash. from Because, because there's, there's always going to be those areas where... And even in this day and age, not everyone has good internet, depending on where you live. Some parts of the world, you're not going to have good internet. I think, I think there always will be room for physical. But GameStop can't survive if only 10 or 20% of people are buying physical. Right. That's the problem. Um, and if people aren't obviously trading back in, then it dries out. So I was thinking, I'm surprised GameStop never got in with Gamefly and went in that direction. I'm really surprised they didn't take a bid or run at them to say, hey, if we can't at least get... Uh, free, basically free stock back in to res- resell back to people via used games. Let's get into the rental market and do that and help. And they never did. Uh, that could be a mistake. And I think that's I think that's a, an opportun- uh, opportunity that's long past them. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like how Blockbuster let Netflix get too big before they, they did their they, own. They gave Netflix. I know it's firsthand because I used to work at a company where I did market research for Blockbuster, and Blockbuster gave Netflix a three year head start, and that's all they needed to be crushed. 
a three-year head start was, I mean, far more than they needed. I feel like, I mean, even letting them go two years or a year. Could have been two only, but it was definitely at least a couple years. At that point, Blockbuster took a long time to get their their uh, their service, competitive service, which they did have a competitive service, remember. They, had, they did For have a, a moment. For a couple of years, few years, they tried it. Wait, wait, like it was, it was you neat can, you, too. You, you could, could take it and return store. it immediately to the yeah, store. That, that was a good positive, but they didn't have the infrastructure that Netflix had already in terms of all the locations throughout the U.S. where you literally could get a movie the next day, and Blockbuster didn't have that figured out yet. And it was too slow to move, and so it never caught up to the level serves that Netflix had already perfected. And that was one of the reasons Blockbuster died out. And as soon as Netflix launched streaming, I mean, Blockbuster was oh yeah not able to handle it. Oh yeah, but it was they were dead before that. Even sure. before the streaming got big, like three four, four years ago, even they were dead before that. The, um, oh sorry. Um, so GameStop, not sure what to tell you. Yeah, you put other stores out of business. You're going to go the same way. It's, it's capitalism. It's I mean, capitalism. But this time it is. I, I'm not yeah. sure what to say. I don't feel happy about it. I, I, I feel bad about the retro stuff more, more, which we'll get into later. Yeah, I mean, the, the last thing I'd say is, for the time being, it's, it's, it's good for consumers, but it's not going to save GameStop in the long run. And I just wanted to point out the hilarity of the first bundle where they seemed to put their foot down about this was a sports game bundle. And quite frankly... I will buy sports games digitally. You know why? Because they're worth fuck all once you buy them. You can't trade them back for a goddamn thing. So when I bought MLB 15 The Show, I was like, you know what? It's midnight and I want that right now. And I bought it digitally. You have about three days to trade it back. Right. So I I just find it weird that that's where they were like, no, we need these copies of Madden coming back in. It has a half-life like those periodic table elements that you can't say the names (laughs) of. Yeah. The ones that are discovered and exist for like a nanosecond. So... Moving on to Konami video games changing. Uh, Konami is officially stopping AAA game production I'm now. I, I'm yeah. I, we called this. Everyone called this. It's not just us. As soon as Metal Gear Solid Five was obviously going to be, you know, they scrubbed Kojima's name, and I mean that was well, kind of like the last thing they talked about. Nothing had been announced. Uh, PT was canceled. We all knew this yeah, was Silent coming. Hill, Silent Hills was gone. So what we what do we have? Um, the way I read it was next year's PES, Pro Evolution Soccer Game, was going to be their last AAA release. Now, I that sounded weird to me. Why would they go a year without releasing anything else? I think what it means is PES 2016, the one that's coming out now, will be their last big release. And then it's pachinko machines and gambling and mobile games. And that whole fucking thing that we... Um, <laughs> that we talked about, was it last, last podcast or two podcasts ago? That, that poll... It's exactly as we said, it's all going to be for digital shit, or they're going to make a fucking Rocket Knight Pachinko machine, or some well, bullshit. I don't think they're going to make a Rocket Knight Pachinko machine, which they might, because I've seen Frogger, you know, uh, slot machines in, in casinos and stuff, but yeah, you're not going to see a big time title like no. that ever again. Um, it's unfortunate. It's, now, for, now, for the soccer, real quick, for the soccer, it's interesting, though, because the soccer games are, the, sports games are 95% the same game year to year. So for that, you figure, maybe with that, they could do a more limited team and just sort of kind of update it year after year for the next three, four years. And if people buy it, then it's not a lot of investment for them. I think, the, start from scratch. I think the problem is, is there was a long time where Pro Evolution Soccer, it was once called Winning Eleven, um, I think even International Superstar Soccer at one point, was for a long time considered the soccer game. You know, it, it, it put FIFA... Uh, FIFA. Put FIFA to FIFA. shame. <laughs> FIFA. 
I'll put FIFA to shame. Um, uh, but in recent years, it's really fallen, and I think that's kind of indicative of, 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 of where Konami was and where they were headed, that they were letting one of their flagship global titles kind of fall apart. And it's sad, because I used to love uh, Pro Evolution Soccer, and uh, I just, I you know, I, I almost want to buy 2016, because it's the last game, but I know it's going to suck. I know it's not going to be any good, so... I mean, it's sad, but... Just a roster update, and that's it. Pro- it's pro- no, that, <laughs> it, I, I'm not kidding. It's what? probably a roster update from 2015, and that's all it is. They just shoveled it out the door. Hey, get ten people on the project, and that's all. Just update it for the next few years. <laughs> Graphics don't have to update. Just update the rosters and the teams and add a couple of new modes in. So, I mean, this really kind of bums me out, though, because yeah, you, you, you got to think about Konami's, uh, Konami's legacy here. Um, I mean, from I, it's actually bothered me more than I would thought. Uh, you know, from small things like never seeing another uh, powerful pro baseball title again, which were great. Those were the baseball games with the big heads and the disembodied hands and legs with no arms. Um, to, you know, things like uh, no Castlevania. You know, um, the the likelihood of a Rocket Knight or a track and field ri- uh, resurrection. Not likely. I, I took for granted how many games Konami made that I truly enjoyed. And it bums me the fuck out that, I mean, that's just sliced off. My favorite publisher on the NES was Konami. Yeah, I mean, they definitely did a really goddamn good job. Bang up job. Look at the look at the silver titles right there, buddy. Look, yeah. look at those titles. Yeah, because Bayou Billy's a gem. Uh, so oh yeah, you go right to Bayou Billy. <laughs> so is Bill Elliott's NASCAR. Okay, Kale. what about the rest? Okay. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, honestly, <laughs> I mean, great stuff. I mean, good stuff all around. Uh, I'm not a huge total Capcom modern fan, but I would actually have to say that Capcom was probably my favorite publisher on the NES. Oh, yeah. Capcom Sunsoft. That Lone Ranger game is excellent. Now I said that the price is going to go up, people think, but no, no, no one played that Lone Ranger Lone Ranger game. actually excellent. is a little bit more expensive now anyways. Four and a half stars in the NES guidebook, by the it's way. goddamn good game. Damn right it is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what else to say. It's just a, it's a crying shame that... It's a goddamn shame. We might get some you know, digital download games of a uh, new Contra or something, but it's not going to be the same, I guess, not having, I don't know. Konami, what happened? Well, it all, you know, when it, when it, when it all went downhill when I, when Pearl left. Where did our love go, When Konami? Pearl left Konami, I knew <laughs> tough times were ahead. <laughs> no, she was gone because tough times were already there. <laughs> it all fell apart because of Pearl. This is uh, somewhat recent, but it's been going on for a while. Uh, so, the, uh, the SAG... AFTRA, which is uh, the they represent the voice actors. I guess there's a voice actors guild. For, I didn't know that. Didn't know that. I knew there was actors guild, but they're the voice actors guild. So they've been trying to nego- been negotiating all this year with the major, you know, AAA studios like EA, Ubisoft, you know, Disney, uh, about having some new agreement put in place for voice actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so amongst those requests that they're trying to get, and there's basically there's a divide. When usually when you threaten a strike, there's going to be a divide, and that's what they're doing. The voice actors are threatening to strike the ones that are in uh, SAG. Um, so they want uh, stunt pay in quotes for vocally stressful performances. I guess if you have to yell a lot, could damage your vocal cords. They also want to have stunt coordinators available when motion capture or movement is involved in the recording. Um, I'm 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 guessing if if they mean I, I'm not familiar with that in terms of voice actors also doing like rolling around or yes. they mean just so like I can fill waving. that in a little yeah. bit fill that in a little bit for because because it, because I think it's 
it'll shade my opinion. Um, so a lot of times now, voice actors, if especially if they're voice acting a role for a video game, um, they will also do the mocap work. So they'll because, run with a gun in their hand? Because you're you're doing the voice acting, and what better way to do your acting than to act out what you're doing? Sure. So they also get in the... So sometimes, for some games, they're in the mocap suit, they're the ones who are doing, uh, you know, the walking, the running, the rolling around, that sort of thing. I mean... And that's to give their voice acting um, believability and weight, essentially. So they want quarters on hand. I guess if there's something dangerous done, uh, I'm not too familiar with with what's been done. If people are rappelling down green screen walls, I don't know. Um, then the biggest one, though, the biggest one, and this is the one that probably is why you're probably going to have a strike, is that they want uh, back end residuals um, for games that make at least $2 million, $2 million they want uh, back-end residuals to kick in, and then once they reach four, they want it to scale up to more residuals, and then once it reaches $6 million in sales, they want it to reach more. Um, so that's going to be the sticking point uh, here, and I'm not sure where this is going to go. So this is a, this, we're in a weird st- stage now, then, because by, by doing this, what the voice actors are saying, you cannot have, basically what they're saying is you cannot have games be as successful without us participating. That's what they're saying. Um, this this is sticky, and uh, I'll be totally honest. I'm totally on their side when it comes to having a stunt coordinator. If it has, has to be dangerous, that makes sense to me. Um, uh, for quote unquote hazard pay, if your voice goes out, that that to me, I could go either way on that because if it's part of the job description that you have to yell a lot, that's some sort of risk involved with that. And of course, they're gonna have to hire someone else. Like, like anything, if you can't do it, if your voice goes, you have to hire someone else. And maybe there's insurance involved that. I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that's part of the reason why they're, why they're in the union. Maybe they would pay for that. In terms of the residuals, uh, I, I, I got a problem with that. I'm not going to mince words about it. I have a big problem with them demanding residuals. Um, the amount of work they're putting into these projects, some are more significant than others, but these are not making or breaking these games. They are not uh, them being in here. Um, they are not programming, they're not designing, they're not doing the art on this, they're not doing the QA on this. They are, they are uh, to me, the icing on the cake of these games. Not to say that they're worthless, not saying that at all, but whoever they would have got to voice Solid Snake and Metal Gear Solid Five, you didn't need Kiefer Sutherland, you could have got anyone else to do it and would have sold the same amount. So I just hope they're not biting off more than they can chew, because you know what? They can have scabs come in very easily and do work that'll be just as just as good, probably, because a lot of the times you hear about voice acting being really bad in games. Now that's not always on the voice actor. That could be on the bad scripts that are being written, which again could also be bad based on bad pacing. I think. Sure. I think. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna let you finish. But before, I, I just want to say that more often than not, when I think voice acting is awful in a game, it's not the voice actor. It's the pacing of when the sound cues come in, and that's on the programming. Yeah, and to, and to me, that's not. And that has nothing to do with me putting value on the work or not. I'm just saying it is what it is, and, and that they're not making or breaking these game sales. They're not actors making or breaking a movie. That's totally different. Because in a movie, the acting is a good, I'd say, two-thirds of the movie is the acting. You have the directing, you have the acting, and the writing. In a game, they are a minute part of that experience. Even with all the, all the you know, uh, cut scenes in games and all, all the uh, stories in games, no one's going out and buying the next Call of Duty because their favorite voice actor's in it. That's my point. So I'm just, I would love to see the details of how much they're demanding. If it's a minute, minute amount, where it's like, okay, we want like I don't I don't even know what's fair, 
what's built in their contract. We get 0.1% of the sales or something, or something so minute that, yeah, here's a little flavoring. Like when you appear as an extra in a movie. That's the best way I would do an analogy. They're like an extra in a movie. They, they can get a residual if they're in, in, in the union, but it's a very, very small amount. They're not going to be getting paid, you know, 5% or 10%. Like a, like, a, like a movie actor who's a big movie actor, like Robert Downey Jr., he can negotiate, okay, next Avengers movie, I want, you know, 4% of the profit. And they'll say, okay, you're, well, you have to. We have to because without you, no one will see this, or a lot less people do, well, you know. I mean, this is how I feel about it. As far as the stunt coordinator and whatnot during anything that's involving mocap that they feel like is dangerous, I'm 100% on board with. As far as the damage, the potential damages, I'm uh, I'm like you. I'm, I'm kind of half and half. I understand it. Um, yeah. it. It's like, I mean, you look at it, not to sound silly, but it's like you look at a hand model, right? If they, if they, no, but I'm serious. They, George they, Costanza. They ruin their hand. Uh, they they lose their ability to make a living off of what they're doing. Voice actors make their money off of their voices, and if they damage their voice doing something, I do believe that there at least should be some sort of compensation period while they figure out what they're going to do. But you know what? A hand model can get their hands insured. The same way models get their legs insured. No, I, I realize this. And, and so, like, you can do that. You can go to go to MetLife or whatever, or and get get insurance for all that. Well, if a yeah. voice actor can get their their voice insured, then 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 that's a, a whole different. Yeah, thing. I wish I knew more about the union and what their union fees entailed. Like, sure. if, if it entailed some sort of hazard pay built in or something, I have no idea. As far as the back end deal thing, I, I'm I'm gonna have to disagree with you a little bit. Um, while I do not, I while I agree with you that 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 no one is rushing out to buy a game because their favorite voice actor is in it. I do not think they are icing on the cake, and I do not think they are a bit part. I do not think anyone at this point can imagine video games without voice. And as time goes on, there are voice actors who get more well-known, and there are voice actors who people identify as a character, especially if it's a long-running series. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable because sure. my understanding is 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 that voice actors do not make much. So if a character is because Kiefer Sutherland has not always played Snake, I can't remember the guy who who did. They love the guy that came before him. I don't remember yeah. his name, but he did it, it up was to it, this point. Was it was it John? I don't know if it was. No, I don't think it was John St. John. But either it, way, it was a comic book. He was in the guy in the comic books. But hated, 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 hated. Sure, David that, Hater. Yes, that's right. So honestly, this is a guy who embodies the character that of of a game that people love. And if a game does particularly well, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with him making extra money based on the sales sure. as long as what they are requesting is reasonable. But but the problem is, is we don't have any sort of details as no. to what they're asking. So I can't because if they're asking too much, I'm going to say that's unreasonable. But if they're not asking for a ton. I, I got to admit, I don't think there's any problem with them receiving additional pay at various benchmarks. But this is what I'm going to say, though. If that actor is so big, like a David Hayter, which apparently wasn't since he's not on Metal Gear Solid 5, they didn't need him anymore. No, it's because Konami didn't give a fuck. My point is, then, if you're that integral part, and if you don't think that they can sell them without you, you know what? Negotiate it with your agent to say, I want these residuals. And you can't make that part of it. I'm wondering if this this whole bid for residuals is coming about because they don't get a higher pay rate and it's a stopgap until they find a way to get paid more or treated as a more integral part. Because like I said, you may think that they are icing on the cake, but we cannot go back to silent video games. No, but my point is that you don't need a unionized voice actors guild in order to get competent voice actors to do this work. You just don't. Mm, I don't know. Don't you don't know? know? I don't you, know you don't think that. people do a competent voice acting? That's like you know how there, there you know are, how hard you know how hard it is to get into SAG if you're an actor. 
There's plenty well, of good actors. Sure. So uh, yeah, it, no, I, I, they can get scabs in a second. You can get. There are people out there who are not part of any union right now who are doing yeah. great voice actor work. But I don't. I don't know. I don't really have an issue with any of this. It really depends I to me on, an, the, on the finer details. I, it, it, yeah, but I, I'm just, again. I'm going to come back to the fact that it just bothers me that if they're going to do this, then that that programmer who worked on the game for hundreds of hours. That that year is get, getting no residuals versus someone that worked on the game for five hours and they, and they demand back pay for that. That bothers me. I'm sorry. That just bothers me on a, on a primitive sort of yeah, level. Yeah, but from what I understand, there are oftentimes like bonuses associated with sales points reached for people who worked on the game. So, right. so I mean, if that's the case, I, I want to see what this is. Then I want to see what this is. If they if they throw if, if they if if they make four million dollars, they throw a few, you know five thousand at someone or ten thousand. I'd be like, all right. But if they want like hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, I I'm, highly, gonna, I'm gonna be like, okay, that's. I highly doubt that's it. Look, I'll meet you halfway on this. This is what I would say: if programmers and artists can receive bonuses for sales goals met then so should the voice actors who worked on the game. If they are not capable of getting those bonuses, then the voice actors should probably take a look at their role in the game and deal with the fact that maybe they don't deserve those bonuses. But I think it's a matter of uh, play fairly and play equal, and I'm not saying the bonus has to be the same for the voice actors. It can be a fraction of what a programmer made, but if there are bonuses involved for sales goals met for anyone who worked on the game, then it should only be fair for everyone to be included in that. Okay. I, I could I, I could sort of go in that direction, but at this point, uh, I'm not going to get too much into it, but, but doing a, a hast, hashtag performance matters and trying to do that, that's just weird to me. Your voice acting. I'm, I'm not trying to belittle what you're doing, but your voice acting. Interesting article by Chris Kohler here. Um, I actually saw the picture he used for it uh, on Twitter the other day. Um, talking about how Akihabara and game stores in Japan are uh, drying up, and they're not the they're not the import game mecca that they once were, which is kind of sad because I feel like. Everyone's idealized video game vision of Japan, where you walk into the City of Lights and you go into any store and you can take your pick and choosing of any systems and get something that you're looking for. It's no longer there. Um, Akihabara has turned into largely an you know an anime trinket place as opposed to a, a, a video game you know a retro video game heaven. Um, it's it's interesting that he notes that a lot of the reason these things are drying up is due to U.S. popularity of, of various systems um, and an interest in imports. The 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 increased um, prominence of eBay, which is not recent, I mean, obviously that was like early 2000s, but especially now, um, has led to a worldwide market where anyone who wants these imports, even if it's kind of a fraction of the gaming community, they can get it. And there are a lot of Japanese sellers that cater almost exclusively to the U.S. market. Um, one of my favorite online ones, uh, Rio Plan Shop, um, you know, is, is is largely catering to the U.S. market, and they sell they sell all these imports. So what you have is, and uh, he actually says this is one of the worst systems affected. Uh, the PC Engine, a system that I love. It's your fault. Yeah, it's my fault entirely. Um, blame me. Um, is it, it's. So what you have is instead of one store servicing one area, even a busy area like Akihabara, is now 
say that store is now opening its doors to the entire world. And what you are left with are desolated and empty shelves. And, uh, I mean, basically things that no one, no one's looking to pick up. And it's going to damage them in the long run because while they are selling to these global markets, um, you cannot necessarily maintain a shop if you have nothing in it. And, I mean, and that's why we've been seeing over the past decade, uh, you know, even some bigger name Japanese game stores closing down and shuttering and having something more profitable like an anime store or a manga store open up because the... It's almost, I would say, and I can't state this for certain, but a lot of people have kind of implied this to me. The interest in retro games in Japan is dying. With You couple that with the increased interest in retro games, import games, in the U.S. and other places like PC Engine and Super Famicom, and you end up with stores that have no way to stay open in their, their home country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean that that's where we are, and this is... He writes the article now, but this is something I've been hearing from my friends who travel to Japan a lot uh, for years. Uh, you know, eight years ago, I could ask a buddy f- to grab me a copy of uh, Dracula X, and he can find it for me for fifty-five bucks. Uh, nowadays, you 200. know, well, if that, I mean, I mean, uh, he even mentions it in his article. Uh, Chris is trying to find, you know, copies of Mother, you know, to bring home to his friends uh, a game that was wildly popular over there, despite not being popular here. And uh, the few that he finds are behind glass cases now with insane price tags because kind of like we talked about with U.S. games and things like Contra, they're leaving the shelves and not coming back to those stores. So, I mean, the price goes up. I mean, yeah, the U.S. market's a lot bigger, so of course it's going to be drawn out than the Japanese market you know, because the population is like, what, six times the size of Japan or, or more, seven times, something like that. And you have the retro game craze going on. You see, you see games going to Europe. You see games going everywhere. You, you find out, oh, these, these people in Europe have NWC cards. Some people own them there, so it goes all over. I, I get concerned sometimes about games leaving the U.S. and going elsewhere, because who knows if they come back? I mean, there's a, there's a lot more of that. Though. There's a lot more U.S. carts than Japanese carts, though. So that's I don't know about comparatively that. for okay. like some like NES versus Famicom. You know, there's more. Um, uh, yeah, sure, sure. Bigger market. That's what I mean. So, of course, prices are going to go up for for a store not being able to stock their shelves. I mean, I guess that's a not the worst problem to have if you're making money for selling stuff. But if you're if you're selling retro games, though, it's it's not a new product, and that's to be expected. Eventually, it's going to run out. Eventually, right. all retro game stores are going to run out of whatever was popular before to sell. It's going to be gone. Well, and I think something that I meant, I, I kind of didn't describe it properly. I don't think that a lot of these stores are also doing online. I'm sure some of them are, but I think a lot of them, plenty of them are probably still just physical location stores, but the online stores are the ones that are shipping all these cartridges overseas, creating no stock for the physical stores. Yeah, they're the ones buying them there, and they they can mark them up and sell them here. I I go to some of these conventions, and there's guys that always have, uh, they, they get FM Towns Marty systems, you know? That's not an, that's not an easy system to find to begin with, even in Japan, and they're getting them over here to right. sell. So you're, th- there's less and less every year. They're not making this stuff anymore. Uh, every time you see someone making their their hacked up little Samson from the Famicom version, that, well, that's one less Famicom version of the game. Yeah. you know they're not coming back. And, and it's not like it's not necessarily a cautionary tale. It's just what happens with a finite supply of things. Um, but 
you know, there there is a very real chance that this is a a, a possible prediction of the future for the U.S. retro game market. Oh, I if, think we're heading that direction. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, like I say, I, when I can't keep them, when I don't get as, when I have no Super Mario twos or threes for two weeks, uh, something's fucking going on. Especially when I'm paying like ten in cash, twenty in credit for them, and most people don't believe they're worth more than eight dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's fucked up. So, if you go to Japan, try to. I'm sure there's some spots that you can still get to. I've heard stories about maybe there's lots of games could be in Hong Kong. I've heard. I know a guy that claims he has knows a guy. I think in Taiwan that has an underground like warehouse of new games going back to the '80s still shoved in a warehouse underground. That when he told me, my eyes like sort of lit up. We're talking just like. They can't like the further back you go, the older the games get. That's you can't walk. There's like, all right, here's the N64 error right in front of us, but behind that's a 16 bit. Behind that's the 8 bit. Right. So there's probably still something out there to be found and restock the the supply, but eventually it runs out. You say that, and of course, then they find a bunch of Caltron six and ones yeah. in Mexico. <laughs> so who knows? A month after I saw you mine. Yeah. Thanks. Um. Hey, let's have a metered conversation about the Retro VGS. Okay, we're going to try to unpack this slowly and surely, and I'll just we'll just back up. People have been asking us to talk about the Retro VGS all summer, um, and we had opinions about it all summer. Yep. However, we wanted to be, try to be fair and objective, believe it or not, and wait until we saw what was actually going to be offered via the, what we thought was going to be a Kickstarter at the time, which yeah, cra- we- a crowd, uh, the crowdfunding campaign. So... Uh, I've known uh, the guy running this, Mike Kennedy, for five years off and on. We've met, we met at the Tetris World Championship that I hosted in 2010 while he had chased a chuck wagon or just gotten game gavel. I forget uh, if he made that purchase or not. And I saw him at a couple of uh, video game meetups uh, outside of L.A. Um, I've, I've written for the Retro Magazine. I don't write for it anymore. I decided not to anymore, but I've written for four issues of that. So, no, Mike Kennedy. I just spoke with Mike Kennedy. Uh, at Game On Expo about the Retro VGS for like 15 minutes, and I'll get into more of the details later. So they launched their Kickstarter, and it went south fairly quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, the backlash was almost immediate. So th- there's a lot of things we can discuss here, but let's start with, I guess, the campaign itself and what the Retro VGS is. So the Retro VGS launched... And the Kickstarter is looking for close to $2 million. The Indiegogo. The There's a reason why we need to make that clear. The Indiegogo. Indiegogo is also a crowdfunding platform, if you didn't know. The Retro VGS bills itself as a return to the roots of retro gaming. Uh, they, there is a heavy, heavy emphasis on the usage of of cartridges, and cartridges being a superior media because they allow for instant play, and cartridges do not require updates. And it's, you can put them on instantly play them? Right. The system is made using a uh, machine tooling for Atari Jaguar cases that uh, was acquired, uh, and the cartridges would come in Atari Jaguar uh, cartridge cases as well. The system was initially built to play... A, games developed specifically for the Retro VGS using its own internal architecture, and B, to play uh, your retro games from various systems 
using uh, a field programmable gate array, which is essentially a circuit board that reconfigures itself on the fly based on its needs to handle various situations. So, if a Nintendo cartridge was in there, it would play the Nintendo cartridge. If you had an adapter. If you had an, yeah, it would okay. require a separate adapter. If you used a separate adapter and put a Neo Geo cartridge in there, it could also play that by reconfiguring. It could figure out what it was and, and say, recon- all right, basically this is a pro- Super Nintendo game. Yes. We have the coding inside for this. Let's, let's do it. Do this on the fly and we got okay. it. So that was what it, that's what it's, that's, that's what it is billed as. And it's, it's ostensibly, and I'll get into this more later, it is ostensibly sold towards uh, retro game aficionados um, who want something new that is old. Okay, real quick though, that FPGA part of it, which is the Field Programmable Gate Array, one of the reasons why that was, people like the idea is because then you could then develop for that a lot easier using the system too. Sure. So you can develop a ColecoVision game using uh, I guess a dev kit with this or a Nintendo game even that was sort of part yes, of the appeal. it was supposed to make development a, a whole lot easier in addition to being a, uh, a nice cherry on top of a Sunday in terms of letting you play your old stuff. Um, the system uh, was originally slated to be about 150. Then they said about 180. Then they said maybe 200. Problematically, the Indiegogo has the lowest system price at 299, which I think is the first problem that a lot of people had, uh, among many. Plus shipping. Uh, pl- I'm, yeah, I'm gonna get there. Uh, uh, plus shipping, which is forty dollars within the continental U.S. and seventy dollars for outside of the U.S. Uh, I have to state that that is a lot for shipping. A well padded and packed priority flat rate box that will get you an item in two days is about $20. Uh, there are also a number of tiers for people who would like to purchase, uh, pay more. You can get a personalized system. Uh, you can get a system in a bronze color. You can get a system in a silver color. You can get a system in a gold color. Uh, you can uh, essentially bid on getting the first serial number. And these are a lot more. These, these are, like are much more. 424 for the silver, 450 for the gold, 500 for the elite one, which is the serial number that you basically bid on to get the higher one. So you're talking $150 more for a color that is limited. Here's one issue that I have with the system. It's billed as a system for retro game enthusiasts. Yet the price point and everything that has been announced so far... I feel like it preys on, on, on a retro game enthusiast. This is not for someone who enjoys playing retro games. This is for a collector, and it is for a collector only. Why? Because the Indiegogo fails to state what the processor is going to be, what any of the specs are going to be. It has no working prototype as of right now, which is why they used Indiegogo. Kickstarter requires a working prototype uh, for, for, hardware. for hardware. So what they're selling you is a dream, yet they are more concerned with you bidding on a high serial number and getting a fancy color console than they are actually showing you what the thing can do. Now let's back up. The thing that they show on the page, the sizzle reel, sizzle reel. for the games, that is games being played on uh, a PC, uh, largely, or a, or or a system where these games have already come out on. Well, Why? Yeah. Because of what I just said. The games for this system 
are almost exclusively not exclusive. I mean, they, these are games that were indie titles released on Steam or Dreamcast. Um, and there's more problems with that I'll get into later. But right there is your first issue. Why is someone going to pay an ex- what I feel is an exorbitant amount of money and then an exorbitant amount of money for the cartridges? A lot of these are between 30 and $60 for a game that you can play on your PC hooked up to your TV for ten bucks, yeah. Um, t- to tie us back to our conversation we had last time about cartridges, about why it, could they ever come back? One of the reasons why we said they couldn't, besides the price, is that uh, it's just an outdated way of making games. Yes. The one of the selling points of this system is that you're going to get a game in a cartridge bug free. I'm not <laughs> sure. Who or what could guarantee that any game would ever be bug-free? When you look back at the NES library of games, there's glitches in those games. They are not bug-free. Even the higher-end games, even a game like uh, Super Mario Brothers, has glitches in it. You know why someone can beat DuckTales in seven and a half minutes? Because you can glitch the entire moon level. And those games, these games here, had full QA teams on them. You have to remember, these, these had... Yeah, exactly. These were large development studios working on these. They, so Legend of Zelda had a team pouring through that game to make sure there weren't any game-breaking bugs in it. When you're talking these modern indie-style indie retro games being made, these are not large teams by and far. Some of these are a couple people. Some of these are one person. A game like Battle Kid was one of the first NES homebrews to gain popularity. It was done by Civac. One person. So, what this means is that they don't have necessarily all the time the means, the resources, and the money to do full QA before a game gets put out there. So, when that happens, they may not catch something. So, when you have the game, if people start saying, oh, there's a bug here. Oh, this sort of weird scenario that you may not play through the game ten times to see, this might break the game. Oh, I can now make a change to that game, release a patch to you. You get the patch, it's fixed within a week, maybe less, you're good to go. Now by, people, oh, sorry. By having to, by by lauding the fact that these games can't be updated, that is not a positive. No, that's negative. Because what happens when a, the packing game has a bug in it, or a, a, one of the first launch games has a bug in it, and the players get it and they're disappointed, they're fucked. They're not going to send the games back to get take them apart, reburn the ROM after they do. You're screwed. Or, conversely, what would happen then is, if a company wants to make sure the game is bug-free, you ain't getting this game for a long, long time. It's going to come out on Steam and PC first. It's going to be a lot cheaper than the $30 to $60 cartridge that this is going to be. It'll be a $10 or $15 game. And you know what? You're going to get the game in, in February instead of getting it in October. And it will be updated as things are noted. Now, look, we all hate this update, you know, this release of broken game culture. But I think this really comes with AAA games. Now, one of the things they stated was... Now, Pat, Pat's absolutely right. He stated that, you know, these, these indie teams are small, off, sometimes one person... Sometimes a team of three to five. Now, they may not have uh, money for Q&A or time for Q&A, so they do the best they can. Well, the Retro VGS team has stated when asked about this that, well, no, we're going to have rigorous standards in, pa- in pre- standards in place to make sure that the games are bug-free. Well, guess what? The Retro VGS team is three people. 
Yeah. So so we have a total of ten people bug testing an an indie game. There's no way you can do this. As as Pat had stated before, and as I've stated, these games that came out on cartridges, you have to be looking through extremely foggy, rose-tinted glasses to think that these games were perfect in any way, shape, or form. There's a reason why people can speedrun The Legend of Zelda on Super Nintendo in, like, ten minutes. Because there are bugs that you can use to break the game. And that is always going to exist. The other point I want to make, and Pat makes a good one about how it would take a a long time for these games to finally hit the market if they're going to put rigorous standards in place, right? But here's my other thing. Games aren't developed this way anymore. If you wanted something like this to happen, even admitting that an occasional bug would come through, you would need a dedicated team of developers creating Mm -hmm. only games for the retro VGS who are willing to sign off when a game is done Nothing else is going to happen to it. And if they want to do more, there will be a sequel or something else. However, that's not the case. Why? No one is going to write a game only for the retro VGS. There's no money in it, and that's a lot of labor. If these people decide that, because it happens, if an indie game developer releases a game, and it does really, really well, okay, and they decide they want to thank the fans, and they update with a little bit of additional content or something like that, well, guess what? Your really awesome, unupdatable, uh, no-patches-necessary cartridge isn't going to fucking get that shit. And then you're going to get people who wondered why they spent $60 on a game that can't get the bonus content that was released after the small-time indie dev said, Thanks, here guys, I did this for you. Even if it's charged, but sometimes sometimes it's not charged, these people aren't going to get the thank you. They're going to end up with a portion of a game on a... And they specifically go through and tell you what every color of the cartridge is going to be because it's collector-minded, not player- or gamer-minded. You're going to have X game on a translucent red cartridge on your shelf when the person who just bought it on Steam is going to have a much fuller game, uh, and it's just not on cartridge. Um, the cartridges cost money. We, we talked about why. These, yes. These are going to be like opening up a Nintendo game. These aren't going to be like a flat, like a little... Flash thing in it, you know. Um, there's uh, the retro VGS team are going to be producing these cards. This is going to be the NES model where the game publisher sends their game to get produced and then they take a cut of the cost, right? And then sell them. That's how this would work, you know. Uh, I, I forget exactly what Mike told me at a Game on Expo about the, the, the cut they're taking, but it's at least, I think, around ten dollars they would take. Uh, so like the like the NES, the exact same thing. They they will control the selling of it and get a cut of each cartridge, and that's how they'll probably make their money in the long term. Because since, since I don't think Retro VGS would have their own first party games or something like this, let's talk about the controller ports and the controller. Oh, so so what's okay. going to be featured here uh, in theory on on the Retro VGS? By the way, which was going to think it have HDMI output and have S video and have also uh, composite. It was going to have maybe one other one. I think maybe RGB compatibility or something. Uh, that's not important to me right now. What's important to me, though, is controller ports. This is why. So they're going to feature uh, two USBs, two 9-pins, which you would see on an Atari or Genesis, which to me is cool because that means you could plug a Genesis controller in yes. theory and play uh, a game, and, and it's really cheap to throw those on there, apparently, since everyone's doing it. Um, but the USB could be cool because you can get adapters for USB to use whatever you want, but uh, the Retro VGS packing controller, let's talk about that real quick. <laughs> mm. well, the Retro VGS packing controller... 
um, is a third-party uh, Wii U Pro controller. Wii U Pro controller with poor reviews that you can buy right now on I think Amazon or whatever for like twelve dollars or whatever it is. Yes, it's it's uh, you know you have what you have uh, analogs you you have uh, four face buttons and, and triggers I think four triggers. You know, it's what you would expect from any any controller at this point. So it's not getting good reviews. I guess they're going to include that there. Um, I have I don't have a lot to say about that, except that if you're going to if you're going to get an off the market controller, why why even bother at that point to include it? If if it's one that's not well reviewed, if it's one that isn't unique, I'm not saying come up with your own controller. What I'm saying, though, is if you're going to go and, and source a third-party controller, get one that's good. If you've got or, two USB ports and two 9-pin ports, ship it out without a controller. Sh- I mean, yeah. I hate to say it, but you that's, can assume that someone who's buying this has got a Genesis controller or a USB controller uh, laying around that they can use instead of you pretending like you have a proprietary controller that you're selling for, like, 25 bucks. Yeah, it's 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 weird because they're, if they're buying these in bulk, they're getting a sweet deal on these. If, if these are retailing for $12... Even if they're getting one specially done, they ain't paying more than five bucks each for these controllers no. in bulk. Now, th- Believe me, I know controller pricing. They're not. So, that's not for me, that stuff. To call it a prototype in many ways, sort of... Mm. It, no, it's 100% disingenuous. It's not a prototype. It's an off-the-shelf controller that you silkscreen something onto. Well, let's talk about the, the goal of, of it. The two million goal. Um... They they had a breakdown of the costs involved, which I'm not going to get into. I don't care how much that you're, you're paying each other. I don't care. I care about the fact that there's no prototype, and I care about the cost of the prototyping. Um, it, it, it's not cost anywhere near two million dollars to build a prototype. Nope. As a matter of uh, fact, because if this if this if this uh, Indiegogo campaign doesn't go through, and right now it's at sixty-seven thousand five hundred eighty dollars, three percent funded. With four days in, it's not going to get funded unless a, a, a millionaire comes through with no business sense and a lot of money to burn, comes in and dumps it. Um, so and then we'll it, have 160 people with these consoles yeah, who uh, can sit around and talk about how great their okay. gold one is. Uh, okay. So, you threw me off. The Sorry. whole point is this, is that if if they meet their goal, then they'll do the prototype. Right. Which, again, is, is kind of strange just because um, the prototype can be done for far, far less than what they're claiming. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, um, which we'll get into a, a, a second. But again, that's why they had to switch from uh, Kickstarter to Indiegogo. And this sort of blew up on the Atari Age forums. So we brought up a name before on the show, uh, his online handle of Kevtris. And we brought him up because he's the guy who, turns out, was doing the HDMI NES boards to throw into the analog NTs when they couldn't figure out how to do the external adapter. So we just brought up his name the last podcast one before. I feel like the guy's a robot with his with his capabilities and his production rate. <laughs> he seems like he's the guy to go to for yeah, this stuff. for sure. So he was in talks, and Kevtris re- re- revealed this on the Atari Age. It's like 85 pages long. Right yeah. after the... He revealed it right after the Indiegogo because he felt like he had to say something. He had to say something. He felt weird because he was, I guess, originally involved with the project, he was the guy providing the FPGA board. So he was the guy that was going to be responsible for all the uh, cores uh, for doing all the retro systems. And he has a list on Atari Age 
of all the ones completed, and he has RCA Studio Two. He has like <laughs> RCA Studio Two. Besides, like the ones like, oh yeah, he'll do Atari Twenty Hundred Click Vision. He'll do the Neo NES. Geo. But then RCA Studio Two. So talk about co- completionists <laughs> yeah. when it comes to stuff. So the guy is a, is a mad scientist. I'll just say. Yeah. But he knows his stuff, obviously, because his his working boards are in the analog NT right now. Uh, you know. So. He was going to develop. He was going to be the guy developing, and this is up to the PlayStation era. Was going to be the FBJ board, right? It was mm-hmm. going to go up to the PS One. He era. said most. He said most PlayStation One era stuff. But you would have got Genesis game, Super Nintendo compatibility, Nintendo, <laughs> ColecoVision, RCA, like like yeah. yeah. It's just silly. Wataru Supervision was that on the list? Yes, it was. And I have one, and I don't even have a game for it. He must have <laughs> just wanted to challenge himself and 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 take apart a system that no one has. He just know? seems like one of those guys who is eternally curious and is like, can I do it? Yes, I can. So the point was that he originally was going to be providing the guts of this, not the not the AR, ARM part for the more modern indie games, but everything else he was going to be providing, which a lot of people, like you said, were interested in. This was being able to get that retro uh, compatibility mm-hmm. and to be able to either either play with an adapter or to be able to develop for that. Yeah, I want to do a ColecoVision game. I can have a, a viable system to put them out on mm-hmm. without having an old ColecoVision. So it came out though. Once it came out though that the only the major stretch goal of was it three point eight million dollars would include the full FPGA like three point. So basically, this thing was supposed to have essentially the full FPGA in it, but they made it's it's only the most basic. Then a slight but. Here's the thing, the whole Indiegogo is vague, really vague. I mean, right down to, no, they don't even tell you what the ARM processor is. It just says powerful ARM processor. They, I think ARM. there's a 3.3 a three, point, uh, 3 million stretch goal to make it more powerful, and then 3.8 uh, uh, million to make it max power. Like It makes it to what they originally promised people. Right. So, so Kev Tris laid it all out on the Atari Age forums, and he basically it's said... Beautiful. He laid down all the technical specs about who he's qualified to talk about this stuff. But he revealed to have been backed out, or he backed out because they basically decided not to include the FPGA arm that he was developing, excuse me, FPGA board that he was uh, developing. And here's the thing, folks, it was done. For the most part, he had not all the systems done, but he had the board done with a good chunk of the systems already completed. He already had had programmed that, and that was ready to go. He did it before he even necessarily knew exactly what they wanted from him. He did it for fun, and it took him... This is how he did it, and you can read the Atari Age uh, thread on this, but uh, this, is, this is great. He got a new circuit board designing program. Taught himself, taught himself how to use it. Was it Altrulium? Is that was it? Atrium, Atrium, I believe. Taught himself how to use it. Designed his board. Prototyped, I believe it was six of them. Had six of them done up. Bought, which which cost him about $1,200. $1, bought about $500 worth of additional components to populate the board. And had six working prototypes of his FPGA, I believe, from Neo Geo all the way, or roughly PSX, all the way down to RCA Studio Two and Wataru Supervision, for two grand. So he basically had the large majority of, of the quarter, of what you would consider the guts of the retro VGS was finished. Besides the ARM core, because that's separate. 
Right. But he had everything else done and the and the basic guts of what this would look like. Let's just be totally fucking ludicrous and assume that because basically at that point, once the FPGA is done, they're building they're building a PC, right? So let's just be dumb. Let's just be really dumb and say that that costs twenty thousand dollars. Okay. So that's twenty two thousand dollars for a prototype of this machine. Mm-hmm. And they're claiming it's going to take them hundreds of thousands of dollars to enter the very expensive and lengthy prototyping process. Just to, yeah, just to enter the prototyping process, not to just do what Kevtris does and just do one in his house. So what are they fucking selling besides smoke and mirrors? I mean, at this point, I don't know. I mean, because here's the thing. He, he came out and explained all this and backed out of the project. So now they're left without the FPGA that they were holding ransom as a stretch goal. They don't even have it. They're going to have to find someone else. So what do they have besides a Jaguar case with a fake circuit board inside it? They have nothing. Well, that's the, well, that's the problem. I think they were... I think they... I don't know if they didn't want to... Oh, well, Keftris was going to license the, the, the core to them and I guess help out. And then I guess once Kev, Keftris posted this stuff, uh, on the forum, Mike Kennedy basically said, well, I guess you don't want to do business with us anymore. And so he was officially, officially gone. I think he was thought, gone before that, but yes, officially done. But Keftris also revealed that he was warning this team of three doing this project about all these things that were they were just not going in the right direction for. For months, he was in contact, uh, according to Keftris, and trying to advise him on, okay, this is a good idea to do this. You should do this to these... Build build the boards in China. It's a lot cheaper. Use these parts. This is why you should use these parts. This is a guy who has a lot of experience with this stuff. This guy has put out. We just said he threw five hundred of these boards into the analog NT that he made uh, of, of his NES HDMI board. This guy knows what he's doing. He's put he's put these products out the, in the past. The problem is, is you've got a guy who has a passion for this, trying to explain this to people who are only worried about how much they can charge more for a translucent blue shell on a system in a limited edition. They don't but, give a shit. So Kevtris basically laid it all out. He laid down the costs uh, for the prototype of this system. Again, not including the ARM part or ARM part for the modern games, but that's not going to probably cost as much as what Kevtris already put together. You know, that's probably the least of the concern. So, I, so we're talking bad, just bad business decisions. Um, and Ian said, "Who is this? Who is this product for?" I don't know. I don't know what developer will want to develop for this. I honestly don't, uh, because again, the, the profit margin they make isn't going to be great compared to the timing. Ain't going to be great versus getting it out uh, for a digital download version or Steam, where you can put it out next month versus getting the cartridge produced and doing the, again the extra QA, which could take forever. And I don't know. And if you're a solid indie developer and, and who, p- with a good reputation, you don't want to either spend the rest of your life working on a quote-unquote bug-free version of a game to come out for a system no one owns, or you don't want to put something out and trust that between your QA team and their QA team of three people that it's going to be good enough and then have it be uh, bug-filled and then their reputation takes a hit when they can just put it on Steam and if they need to fix the problem. Not everyone is an Evil Empire AAA developer who's just rushing something to market. There's a reason why we allow for bug updates in video games and we have since the 90s on PC. And... If you're a consumer, ask yourself, why are you buying this system? Why? I, I, there's not a lot of you. I know that at this point. There's like 160-something. But why are you... Like, what... These Most of these games aren't exclusive. You can get them elsewhere. The, these are not games that are to come out 
they're not going to be you know games that if they if they okay let's play this way if there was a shovel knight game of that caliber and excellence being made why would you shoot yourself in the foot and only put it on a, a console like this with a limited market versus putting it everywhere you right. wouldn't. And here's the thing. A lot of people wanted Shovel Knight to be on this, but you know what just happened? Shovel Knight just released free DLC to thank the fans. If you had the cartridge, you'd be fucked. You know what I mean? Back to what I just said prior. It's just, it's stupid. Your best case scenario would be that you'd have to wait years to get a game. Like, say Shovel Knight came out uh, right now. We're talking September. You know, you'd, Are we talking you'd... Shovel Knight or, or Tiny Knight? Shovel Knight. Okay, let's, yes. let's, okay, stick sure. with, let's stick with a game that has been just... Everyone loves Lauded the game. and has free DLC. Okay. So we're talking a game that comes out right now. This team is making money hand over fist. A game that gets excellent reviews everywhere. People love the game. Hell, it's freaking... You know, people want it to be an amiibo, for God's sake. You know, they're trying to vote for it. No, it's already an amiibo. Oh, well, there you go. It's officially announced. Okay, we're talking the biggest <laughs> indie game, like a Super Meat Boy <laughs> game possible. At what point do they say, you know what, here's a system that even... We'll just say even a few thousand people have. We're going to then take our time to port to the here and then deal with this whole other outside process to maybe, maybe sell to ha- maybe half of the people that own the system are going to buy the game. So 60. So <laughs> I'm saying if a few thousand yeah, yeah. people bought this. So then, cause, because when people buy a system, the NES launched with 15 titles. Not everyone bought those 15 or 16 titles when it launched. You're buying a few titles. So unless you're the type of person that's going to spend $60 on each and every game that comes out in the system, if you're a developer looking at this, you're not going to just limit yourself to that small market and then deal again with all the bullshit of having to have a cut taking out by the retro VGS team to produce it, having to make sure you put out the product that's bug-free, whatever the hell that means, since that doesn't exist, um, and then make sure that everything goes right since you're not handling the distribution of it. You know, like... I don't know. I just don't know. I, I'm just. I'm not trying to. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to dogpile. I'm honestly not. I'm trying to go through the process of why you want this system. Why? It's not a dogpile. The problem is, is they created this sort of dogpile situation for themselves. They, I, I'm not trying to be overly harsh. I'm simply you. You and I are simply stating the facts objectively, looking at this, and how crazy of an idea this is. I have no idea who thought that this should actually be launched right now. I, I, I hate to say it, but when these, uh, when these Jaguar, when the mold was bought, because we know the big story is that what well, they use it as dental camera. Like Atari sold the, some of their molds to a, a company that used them. Like you can look online, there's pictures of this white hanging Jaguar unit, which is like a dental camera. It's, right. a, it's the strangest freaking thing you've ever seen. Sure. So my, I'm just gonna throw this out there, and this is the, the where I hopefully we end this at. If these if these Jaguar system molds weren't available for sale, would the retro VGS ever have existed? I agree with you on this. I don't think they would have because the way they talk is every time asked, they're asked about the Atari Jaguar molds, they say it's saving us considerable money. It's almost like they bought an Atari Jaguar mold, injected it, and said, that's an almost complete system. And it's not. You work from the board up. So did they say, I have a cool idea since I have these shells. And by the way, uh, they have been selling you know, to the, to the, the astute. I'm not going to make fun of the Atari Jaguar community, but there's not a lot out, out there of you. But selling uh, molds, translucent molds to them, that's fine. Make your money. Do whatever you want. But was this a case of, all right, I have a dream now. I have a shell 
of a game console, and now let's fill it with something. Not sure what to fill it with. <laughs> let's go. And again, it's, hopes and dreams. It's not like the Nintendo Wii U started with their shell. It's not like the NES started with the shell. They started with here's the processor, here's the games we can do with it. The shell's the very last thing you worry about at that point. Here's the. I do want to finish on one more note too because I, I, I think that we've had a couple questions about this, and it's the direction the retro VGS turned in. Now, I'm not sure the retro VGS actually turned into a direction, but it, it was the initial expectations. When they announce a cartridge-based system, and they call it the retro VGS, I think a lot of people were expecting Super Nintendo, Nintendo, Genesis-style games being released again on a system that would take them back to those days. And that's not what they got. What you ended up getting was a computer with in sort theory, of emulation. In theory, if you get it. Yeah, if you get it. You end up with a computer that runs indie games and potentially does other systems. Kevtris, I think, was the one who made an interesting point. What they needed to do here is they needed to take make a modern system with a good processor but present limitations that were around during the Super Nintendo and Genesis era so people produced games that were believably retro. And that's not what you're getting at all. Not in any way, shape, or form. So instead, what you potentially are getting without the FPGA core, you're getting an OUYA with cartridges. And no online support. So if you want to contribute to the campaign, uh, go for it. I don't, You'll get your money back. I honestly don't have ill wishes on people's business ventures, but this one I think was just misguided from the start, and I'm not sort of shocked at all about where it is. No. All right. So speaking of other uh, indie <laughs> indie gaming retro ish fun and bad retro and bad decisions, uh, Mighty Number no. Nine's demo was delayed, and the dev- so Mighty Number no. Nine has had a real rocky. Uh, road, I like Rocky Road. I love the TV show. Remember the Rocky Road TV show. <laughs> um, since announced, it's been delayed a number of times. Um, it got. It was supposed to come out, I believe, this year in the summer. It got delayed until, uh, or maybe the fall. It was delayed until next year. Uh, then they were said they were going to release another demo. I think it was on September fifteenth. Uh, and then they didn't really mention anything when it didn't come out. And then when Backlash got strong, they mentioned something about it recently, about it not coming out, and they apologized. To me, the apology rings kind of hollow. Um, because if you really were sorry, you would have said something on the day that you told everyone it came out. Um, this company is not doing anything to... Uh, Curry the favor of gamers. They, even though Mighty Number no. Nine was delayed, um, they still launched another Kickstarter before this game was finished. Uh, For what was it? Red, red, red Ash or something? Red, yeah, fuck me. It was supposed to be like a uh, Red Ash, like a Mega Man. Legends it's a Mega Man Legends game? three, basically. And trying to, uh, trying to do all those in one fell swoop, all those games that Capcom yeah. canceled. Well, so you know they they tried to do that, which pissed a lot of people off. A and that failed, right? Uh, well, it failed, and then a publisher stepped in and said, okay. "We'll we'll take care of this for you." Because people want to see that game happen, but people are pissed. People are pissed because this game, Mighty Number no. Nine, which I'm not saying it's easy because it's not, but it's a 2D platformer that plays in the Mega Man. Well, 
2.5D platform that plays in the vein of Mega Man games because it's made by one of the co-creators of Mega Man, Kaiji Inafune. And it's been two years since the Kickstarter, yes. right? And, and and like I said, it got delayed again. So I don't have a whole lot more to say about it, but um, this is not a good start for a company. And they haven't exactly been uh, kind um, when, when when people bring criticism. They, a lot of the, especially the U.S., team gets very very defensive and uh it's just not breeding any sort of 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 goodwill um i don't know what to say i mean other than what what i've always said is uh you know look at your expectations for when something is going to be released or when something is going to happen or when you're going to have a project and then expand on it like 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 Throw it into the future so that you can shoot for earlier. Well, it seems like part of the problem, I guess they wanted to originally have DRM on the demo because it was supposed to be exclusively for the backers. But there was a lot of backlash because the last demo was timed as well, and people were like, no, I paid into this. Why are you telling me I can only have it oh, for a set amount really of time? I really think it was like run out after a week or something? I, I think Why? it was like a couple weeks or a month. Why Maybe, would you do that for a demo? Because they're dumb. They're not listening. I mean, they just, they're, they're, they're yeah. really I'm gonna, anti-consumer. I'm going to release a, a movie trailer, but you only can watch it for a week. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's they like, raised so much money for this game because of people's excitement for another Mega Man-style uh-huh. game, and they've just been fucking dicks about it. And so they announced that the new trailer was going to come out, and once again, it was going to be a timed trailer that you only had access what to. F- so why? Why? People flipped out, and now they're saying that the delay is because they're trying to work the DRM out of it. And I just... Well, that's what they said in, the, in their, their yeah. statement. So, I mean, that's where we're at. I just don't understand how long it would take to be like, okay, we're just going to cut off the DRM. Now they say they have to find a new distribution method. I don't know why. Steam doesn't require DRM, which is where they were going to go through. Now they're going to do Humble Bundle. But why the change? Why the unnecessary step? I'm sure someone in the comments will tell me, but uh, Steam does not require DRM. I mean, you download it through them, and then you go offline, and as long as it doesn't require an update, you can play it. What are they afraid of? Of... of what what would be the fear of putting out a demo without DRM? Does they spread it around to more people? I mean, that would be the fault of the people that backed it. I mean, if if, if people want to be the exclusive club, you're still going to get it first, and then if someone decides that they can somehow copy it and give it to someone else, well, if it's because of piracy, the truth is, is but it's a get demo. The fuck up, get it's the, a right, demo. But, it, but still, it's supposed to be an exclusive demo. But the fact of the matter is, if piracy is what you're worried about, you need to get the fuck over it. Piracy has existed since forever. Okay, they made three point eight million. Yes, if someone wants to take that game and send it off to someone else, you know what? Suck your own dick. It's what happens. It's just you have to deal with they it. They made three point eight million, and they'll probably make that again when they actually release the game. Timing it, timing it, and being this overprotective and this defensive and this weird about it is, dude. Honestly, I gotta be honest. Like I wanted this game when it was announced, and watching how they've behaved with it. I kind of don't give a fuck anymore. I mean, I, I mean, will I actually play it? Yeah, maybe. But I mean, as of right now, I have no interest in giving this company money. I just think I, I actually have less of a problem them doing if they actually had the resources to do this Red Ash game on the side. I know how, not, a lot of people had a problem with that. If they had the resources to do it on the side, I don't have a problem if they hire a new team. I don't know what their development sort of flow is. I don't care. But to DRM a demo is just, what the fuck? Oh, sure. It's ridiculous. Oh, my God. It's, it's fucking it's like, yeah, Let's have less people be interested in your game. 
You right. Know. Well, that's exactly what's happening to me. I am less interested now than I was but, before. God, it's, it's a, treat it like a movie trailer. You want as many people as possible to see. Oh, wait. No, hold on, though. They could treat it like a movie trailer in WB terms and be like, we really wanted this to be exclusive only to the people at Comic-Con because hey, we hey, don't like excitement we, we have, for our fucking we, shit. We haven't talked about any DC or Zack Snyder's for a good six weeks now almost. So I wasn't talking about them. I was talking uh, about yeah, WB. All right, well, we're, it's different. We're, we're veering. It's different. We're, we're veering. Shh. <laughs> let's veer into the next topic. Let's go into let's go into another GameStop conspiracy, right? For yeah. for retro game conspiracy, because we're just making this up because they're taking all my money away. Um, <laughs> You're taking all of Luna Video Games' money away. You fucking tools. Uh, so don't attack my audience. Here. <laughs> I'm only attacking the ones that are attacking That's us. True. Um, Broken Genesis via GameStop. So uh, a, a guy who uh, I'm, I'm not going to mention his name because I, I don't want him to get a lot of uh, shit for well, this. But it's public. You, uh, you sure. can find it if you want to. It's on Twitter. It is. It's all <laughs> over. So I'll just name his first name. Though. His name is Cristiano. And uh, he's a guy who's been in contact with me over Twitter for a while. Um, and I think he's kind of made this story known elsewhere. So it's fine. Um, he is just kind of, you know, sending a story our way about GameStop and their um, quality assurance. Uh, so he ordered a uh, Genesis from the uh, from GameStop. The Sega Genesis. And, um, you know, it was claimed to be refurbished. It was claimed to come with AV cables. Uh, and what he received was a Genesis with... Model 1. Right? A Model 1 Genesis with a, an AC port that has a large chunk missing out of it. The whole, uh, the whole corner <laughs> yep. of, the, of that of the Oh, console. yeah, the whole corner's gone. <laughs> uh, a broken controller pin, which... One of the pins is in half. Which is a which before people jump on us about conspiracy, that's a big thing that you have to know to look for when you buy and sell Genesis systems. I check all of them. People bend the fuck out of the pins all the time because Genesis controllers had very very tight controller port mm-hmm. or controller um, sockets for the most part. So I mean that is something that can happen. Yeah. So it's got a visibly bent pin, bent or broken off. Well, uh, I believe it was just. Uh, half broken or pushed. Either in. way, you can't use it. Right. But the biggest... Uh, well, okay. That's and then, big to hold me. Hold on. Yeah, that's big. <laughs> you can't use it, the controller. That's 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 <laughs> huge. I mean, generally with a little bit of needle nose, you can fix that. Um, the venting on it is cracked and shattered in certain parts. But what I find to be... Hysterical. Hysterical. And, and egregious. But, but, but the most damning part of what GameStop <laughs> claims they are doing in terms of training their employees is there's a fucking GameStop warranty void if removed sticker over the expansion port for the fucking Sega CD. And it's clean as day. This is not lifted. It's, it's this a, is not peeled. It's a hologram sticker. It's right there. Go ahead and produce your own hologram GameStop sticker and counterfeit and see how much cost it would be. Hit me with it. your fucking conspiracy theories because this is insane. So, uh, I mean, there is a happy ending. He took it back to a local GameStop. They uh, credited him back, and they ordered him another one, and he's hoping that, you know, the next one is going to be in good shape. He took it to a store, right? Yeah, he took it to a store um, with the the packing receipt and, you know, exchanged it. But, I mean, I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but, like, all the other shit is bad. But, like, seriously, you put the void if removed sticker on the expansion port? Look, look, okay. So on a lot of modern systems, they will put the the um, 
the the warranty stickers on something that shouldn't be removed. So like if you look at a 360 for instance, they slap it on the inside where you pop the tabs to pull the casing off so they they can tell. If you are hiring people to quote unquote check, test and refurbish these, which you obviously aren't doing well if there's three other broken things on here and they don't know that that removable door simply leads to an expansion bay, you have fucking failed at your job. Yeah, and didn't this guy said he wanted to try with a Sega CD? Oh, yeah, he said he has a Sega CD, and he wants to hook it up to it, and he fucking can't. So that's why he returned it. He said, I mean, that's how he noticed it. He flipped it over to fucking unhook the door so he could put his Sega CD on it. (laughs) At least test that. And there's a goddamn warranty sticker on it. So, I mean, that also, to me, states that they never tested that port. Oh, my God. So... Well, that's what's well, well. You assume that port's going to work if it's. I it mean, came you, out. you do, but I mean, I'm not going to give him flack for that. I'll, I, I, I'll give him flack for the fucking warranty void sticker. Fair on Fair enough. It. I mean, because yeah. we don't test every Sega CD port, but I'm just saying, with all the fucking bullshit they've shoved down our throat, uh, I mean, come on, really? Uh, I'll take this time to just go back to because I I've actually have updated information. Believe it or not, on the Chrono the Chrono Trigger debacle. More? Yes. Okay. I, I, and I, I've been busy with a lot of projects. The book's still going on. Well, because we I, talked about it two weeks ago. Uh, and, and more, as a dude would say, shit has come to light. Okay. There's information I received via email. Mul- multiple facets <laughs> and angles. Okay. Lots of ins, lots, lots of, of outs. outs. <laughs> going on. I'm like, I'm like the dude now with this fucking uh, Chrono Trigger GameStop story. Got an email. Didn't have time to even look up and really research it more. But a guy claims... That he got that Chrono Trigger with the fake label and Madden before and had sent it back. <laughs> I mean... And he sent a couple of pictures, I guess. I, I can look it up right now. I didn't want to bring it up because I wanted to make sure, but we can't do a full topic on it. But there's, a, there's an outside shot that that fake counterfeit Chrono Trigger went through GameStop's hand, went to a guy... Went back to them and then came back again to someone else. So I will believe Alleg- the Genesis. Allegedly, I will believe the Genesis. I'll believe the original Chrono Trigger story, I, and I will, I will, allegedly believe this. story. It's an alleged story that at this uh, point, but at this point, <laughs> fuck. Let's put it this way: if it comes, with, if, it, if, a, if a third person gets that Chrono Trigger, then all bets are off. I'll just say that. So again, this isn't us trying to just. I'm not going after GameStop because it's good for my health, but it, it's uh, it, it's a it's 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 consumer protection in a well, way. Well, yeah, Sorry. exactly. I don't think people don't realize Fuck. that I am we we are two stores. Okay, GameStop doesn't fucking affect I, me. I don't I'm get not, I don't get lunar residuals. By the way, I'm not either. I'm not railing against GameStop because it affects my business at all. It doesn't. Ian GameStop. Gives me, Ian gives me tougher deals. I think sometimes because he knows me. Believe it or not, GameStop <laughs> affects my business currently zero fucking percent. <laughs> what is this? You should be goddamn happy we bring this shit to light because otherwise, it's exact. It, it's what you should learn to expect. And yes, lots of people have had good experiences so far. But if we don't point this shit out, if we don't point out that GameStop is a bag of shit and is lying to you, I, I don't know what to say. Here's the email about the guy. I won't say his name, um, but in big capital letters, I bought the same one mentioned in your videos. And then the second email he sent me, and I apologize, we could have made, made it another topic. I'm getting lightheaded because it's funny as hell. Uh, he sent me three JPEGs. 
with the return label going back to GameStop. What's the other one? The return label that says, let me flip this around here counterclockwise. He bought three games. He bought a Castlevania, uh, he, uh, Castlevania 3 for NES. He brought a Chrono Trigger. Uh, and he bought a Pilot Wings. It looks like he might have used a code to get it cheaper. Because it's only $68. He might have found a 15% off code. So that was that image. And this third image was the return label of it going back. Uh, with the packing list. And he just sort of uh, canceled out, I guess, his shipping address. But it's a real packing list. So there's a chance. Maybe even a 10% chance. Probably an 80% chance. Maybe a 90 that that fake Chrono Trigger went back to GameStop more than once. My uh, my buddy just bought Mega Man Seven and X Three uh, from GameStop just to kind of see why what, would he risk it because because he can return it if it's shit. I but I, I think he just wants to see what's going to happen. You so know? the GameStop stop 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 <laughs> retro game 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 return turn return, return of the, the week 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 week. All right, time for Q&A. Q&A. That first topic I decided not to do is I'm tired. Well, that's not a Q&A. No, we'll do it later. I'm tired, too. Uh, From Dave Van Damnet. Good name. Uh, PewDiePie is going to be on Late Show. Between him and YT YouTubers being on Kimmel, does this mean... uh, Tyers, uh, YouTubers, YouTubers will will soon be mainstream. No, because um, these are different media. So, unless... There's a way for YouTubers to make money by being on TV. There's no reason for them to be on TV. Yeah, it's a different type of media in terms of how it's consumed, and I think they're making more of that money now on YouTube than they would on TV. Well, well, no, you're always going to have heavy advertising money still going to be on TV, but they're they're, they're supplementing that, putting their shit on YouTube. Okay, Let's put it this way. It's a different audience. So Jimmy Kimmel is doing his sort of Saved by the L reunion uh, skit, knowing that, wow, uh, this goes on YouTube, it'll go viral. We'll get 5 million views on this. I can maybe get eyes on the TV show. You know. Uh, but but there's no reason not to do YouTube and have a TV show if you're sure. late night. There's absolutely, because the short interview basis and skit basis make it perfect. But what it makes, what it's saying, though, is on TV, we want to get that audience from YouTube to come in. Gotcha. We get PewDiePie. PewDiePie's got, whatever it is, 40 million people throughout the world Maybe we'll get a small fraction. Maybe we'll get one million. And honestly, you'll probably get less than that that, that will watch uh, the TV show. Those kids, those 12-year-olds, don't know what a TV is. They don't know what a late-night show is. They're going to wait for it to go on YouTube the next day and watch it. And then so, they'll see it. Either way, the, the late-night show, the late show, will get exposure. You know, either so, way. So YouTube is not going to go mainstream in terms of TV. However, TV will use YouTube yeah. to try to bring people back to TV. Yeah, come back. It's okay. gone, though, but come on back. You know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll pretend we know what's going on with. We'll pretend we'll know what a video game is from 25 years ago and whatever else. We'll know. What, we'll pretend what this technology is. All right. Next, uh, at Kagetsudo, uh, do you feel like game collecting is too cutthroat? I lost motivation for game hunting due to it feeling like a competition. Most collecting markets are cutthroat. I've seen it um, at the swap meet. Hell, there's guys that like. Matchbox cars. I used to hang out with a guy that tried to explain to me about the different Matchbox cars, the red lines, even the limited editions, and it's this—it's the same. People are all the same. They just like different things. That's what it comes down to. You're always going to have people that are way competitive about what they collect, or their cutthroat, and how they do business, or how they try to screw people over in comic books, and probably records even. Oh yeah, no, to get so it's no different 
and game collecting. So you have to know that going into any collector's market that there's going to be competition, especially now when in the past, uh, we'll even say five years, it's quadrupled the amount of people, if not quintupled the amount of people getting into retro games. You know, like It's just so much more. So you're going to expect it to be more competitive, just trying to find less and less out there. Um, now, I will say this, though. A lot of the cutthroat, though, are the people that come in, the, the speculators, and I would call them the profiteers, that come in uh, just to screw everyone else over and then you know, uh, treat it as a business first and foremost, and only, and that's it. That's where a lot of the cutthroat part sort of feeds into everything else. And I think there's a lot of, I don't want to say bad vibes, but the energy, we'll just say, of that kind of maybe can infect the collectors. Maybe I'm being too dramatic when it comes to No, you know, I don't think I don't so. Know. Because what I would say is this. I mean, I did not leave collecting as, like, serious collecting because it was cutthroat. Like you said, it's, it's in everything. I left collecting because I, I, I hit a burnout and, and I was getting priced out of that hobby. Um, however, I do feel like, Pat, Pat's right, There there is a, it's going to be like that in any collecting market. However, I feel like the personality and the general vibe among different collecting markets can vary greatly. Um, I do feel like video game collecting right now is very, very, shady is not the word, Slimy on occasion is more the word I'm looking for. There's a lot. There's a lot of. There's a lot of shit going on with video game collecting that drives me nuts. That I don't. It's a. I don't see in record collecting. It's a lot of secrecy. It's a lot of backdoor shit you never see or just hear about. In terms of, I don't know if there's a lot of price manipulation going on in records. I don't know, but I hear stories that are told by me by multiple people about stuff that goes on. Where it's like, oh, it's just you look at then you see that same person that gets accused of it, and you're just like, yeah, I could see it. So I can say this: you know? in records, there are definitely people who are profiteers, people who buy up stuff sure. and they want to sell it for more money. But there's a lot less of that. There's a lot less of that secret backdoor shady shit going on. Is there, are there people that corner the market with games or try to? You mean records? records? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there is. I'm not going to say there isn't. In in my experience with what I look for, no, not really. The thing is, is is Records there... were produced in in, in, in in humongous amounts, so there's also there's also not there's also not that that same limited availability. They weren't well, they weren't a lot of them thrown out though from the sixties and seventies though. Still, you still find them. I mean, whether they're no, in good do, shape but... or not is it, different. But all I'm saying is is even if they're trying to get more money than they should for a record, I find that the people in record collecting. Just for an example, are a lot more upfront than and video maybe games. in a record store they won't move as quickly. Yes, as in, so like, there's a lot less record collectors. So maybe this, that same Beatles album will sit there for six months versus uh, less. Well, than a week. and no one's trying to get money for a Beatles album unless just, they're dumb I'm because they're all over. But yeah, it's I'm the just first saying. old group I thought of that Frank loves and you hate. That's that's one reason I'm throwing <laughs> out there. And Frank will never let you forget that. No, nope, he won't. And probably never respect you because I'm, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Frank still wants you over for dinner. He open invite every any Sunday. Um, let yeah. me know when he's making sweet sausage and sauce again. Oh, and meatballs? He hasn't done that in a while. That's more of a, if he, he, like, if he, he does, likes. You know what? Traditionally, for the playoffs, when the playoff starts, okay. he, for some reason, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, yeah, when playoff starts, he'll, he'll make like four pounds of sauce and meatballs and. Uh, I, I, I love and, spicy, but what, when he, whatever he did, whatever sausages he used, when he did that sweet sausage in his good. sauce. Uh, Holy was shit. Was that the I last could... time you came over? It was like two and a half years ago. No, it wasn't the last time, but it was definitely one of the more memorable you times. Been, you haven't been over Frank's in like two years. It's been a long time. It has been. 
<laughs> you, only you are to blame for that, sir. It's true, but you, it hurts Frank's feelings on some level. It, it hurts mine, but the only the only day I have to socialize with people is Sunday. Well, then Frank socialize with him one Sunday of the of the year, okay. or I'll have Frank come over and play video games with uh, us. Yeah, but that'll work out <laughs> well. All right. Uh, this is another uh, Ian asks. Uh, <laughs> way, to, way to break down the fourth wall. <laughs> At Nate Wilcox 23. Was it a bitter sweat and... <laughs> B- bittersweet. <laughs> I know. Was it a bittersweet <laughs> slash anticlimactic day when you bought the last NES cart and completed your collection? You know what it was? It was a feeling of... Not that I wasted my time, but you expect there to be a bigger reward... Uh, for that last game purchase. And you can say, well, I don't have stadium events, I don't have the Panesian games, but at the time, I was like, it's done. And I think one of the last games, it wasn't... Bonk's Adventure was in the last ten. Um, it was probably one of the uh, Color Dreams games. Something like uh, Challenge of the Dragon or something. It was probably one of the last ones I got, or Murray's in Atlantis. And it was sort of feeling like... It was an accomplishment, I guess. It's like, wow, this took me like but like uh, 12 years to do this. Right. I was like, all right. I, 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 I didn't want to think about the amount of money I spent. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah this is cool. I guess this is an accomplishment. Because in 2010, I completed it, what, early 2010? Because that's... Uh, you completed no, it... No, no, early time. 2009. Yeah, you completed because, it before we did the first marathon. Because when I bought the NWC in 2009, they were around the same times. Yeah. I think I bought the, I bought the NWC gray before I completed the collection. Believe I think it was like a month after. It was you something ha- like that. You had a complete collection in time for the first marathon, which yes. was 2010. Yes. But 2009, I think, is when I completed Or no, it. I'm sorry. 2009. 25 years of 2000. The marathon was 2010, the first one. It's 25 years from 85. Well, then wouldn't five years be 2015, which is what it is now? 10, 11, 12, 13, 30. 14. 85.3. Anyway, so Ian can do the math in his head later, which I don't know how he's not doing it correctly, but the whole point was that... You what, did some math horribly the last podcast. No one knows that because they're listening now. Anyway, so <laughs> um, it was a feeling of I accomplished something. Honestly, it doesn't mean much. And I say this not to shit on the the, the newer collectors that are coming in, but it, it, it just shows that you have a lot of expendable income. That's all it shows that, that when you complete a game collection. Well, it shows you have a desire. It shows you have a passion to do it. It shows that you must have a love on some level uh, of, of the system, but it just shows you have a lot of time for me and, and money yeah. to, to do it. And for, actually, for me, it wasn't even a huge amount. Com- compared to now, sure. no fucking way am I doing it. Yeah. Uh, the 2010 and before prices, we're talking you know, half of these games I got probably before 2007 or 2006, and the other half I got after 2006. Then that's a big difference between trying to do it now. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this, Ian? Besides not being able to count, what are your thoughts? Uh, fuck off. Um, basically, I, I mean, all I can say is I don't have a complete collection of anything, but I have a a good Game Boy Black and White collection that I love dearly. And just like you don't have quite everything, like the Pan Asian collection uh, games, I don't have. There's probably like five to ten Game Boy games that I don't have that I want. But basically, I reached a point where there was nothing else I wanted with it. So to me, my collection was complete, roughly. And it it almost sucks, in my opinion, to complete it, because you no longer got that thrill of finding that fun game oh. that you wanted to get. And for me, that's what it's about. Like I'm not, I'm not a completionist, so it's like, I'm looking for that next really cool game that I've always wanted to own, and I'm at that point now where... 
I, I I'm basically out of those. Well, well, honestly, a lot of this since since I found a chunk of these, a good chunk of these at the flea markets, that was the high of finding them back when you know 2004, 2005. You can find you know 40 NES games for 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, and at that point, you don't care that there's doubles because in those there's some new ones that you don't have, and you get and you have trade fodder or whatever else you do with them. You can resell them. In 2004, and get a dollar for your extra Ghostbusters cart. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was a lot. But nowadays, I go out to the flea markets. We can talk about this later. How there's there's a lot less out there anyway. But I ain't finding. Even though I know I know a guy who found magical chase at a flea market. For God's sake, I know there's a chance that I could find a stadium events or or a, a Panesian game at the flea market. But it, it ain't gonna happen. Sure. It's, just, it's just not. At David C. Kenyon. Why isn't there more love for the Sega Master System? What are some of your favorite games for the system? Well, I, I mean, I think there currently there is plenty of love for the Sega Master System. Proportionate as a, love. Yeah, I mean, about, about a year ago, two years ago, it kind of became the, the trendy alternate system to collect for. And then, after about a year, it died down. Um, but there are, I mean, it was, why wasn't there more love? Because no one fucking had it as a kid. Not in North America. People was like, oh, in Europe, some yeah. people had it. No one in North America had Europe, it. Europe, it was popular. And in Brazil, it was insanely popular. But in the U.S., it was like, I, you know. 2% the, the, market the jo- share? The joke is that. two kids in every high, in every school. You know, two kids in every I school had it. didn't know anyone. Who, I, I knew one, one kid, day. really. I knew one kid on the Turbo Graphics, and I don't know if I knew anyone who had a match system. I knew one who had both. Um, and he, he was a shit. Um... <laughs> but what are some of my favorite games for the system? Uh, that's pretty easy. Penguin Land is one that's one of my favorites, and I've said it about a billion times. It's an incredibly creative game, and it's fun as hell. Um, I also really like the Zillion series, and I'm a big fan of Zillion 2, which a lot of people don't think is as good as the first one, because it's not an open Metroid-type game, but it's just a really good action game. I will go back to why isn't there more love for the Masters, and besides that 14 people owned it in the U.S., um, because a lot of those games, you can... Find a better version on the Genesis. You're not p- going on the Genesis and play Shinobi or Outrun. Sure, Hangover, uh, <laughs> Hangover, <laughs> the Hangover series of Master System. Those games. were the best. Someone please Photoshop <laughs> that with Ian on it. The Hangover Sega Master System game with Ian's face. It's just, oh god, just get the right font, please. I'd be, I'd be um, picky about that. So yeah, so those games. I mean, hell, I love uh, Rastan on, on the Master System. Yeah, that's the. It wasn't on the Genesis. It's okay on the Master System. It's not nearly as good as the arcade. I wish it was on the Moonwalker is another example. Like Moonwalker Moon was good on the Master System, much better on the yeah. Genesis. Like I, I don't know. I, the Master System definitely had some standalone games that were fun, but um, more, they, they were more... either available on other systems like Spyver, Spire, Rampage. Even though Rampage had the you know the the, the wolf character, uh, or they were better done on yeah. the Genesis rather quickly because you got to remember the Genesis came out in '88. 89. Well, early 89 in the U.S., sure. Um, Summer 89 here. uh, Okay, fine. I'll just take your word for it. The whole point was that they gave Master System less than three years before Sega said here in America we're done with this system. After after two years, we're like, no, we don't, we're going to, we have this Genesis thing coming out that's already out in Japan. We're We're done with this. So, I mean, at that point, it was dribbling, you know, we're we're talking. yeah, a, a two and a half year lifespan before the new system, three years, that's really bad. Um, so the only reason I bought it, I don't know if Toys R Us was even carrying it anymore, but Kitty City, 
the level Kitty City was still carrying him. So when I, I only had Rampage. Rampage was fun in the Master System. That's a good port of it, yeah. I thought. I, th- I might have reviewed that for Christmas last year as Pat the Aeneas Punk, the character. Check out that Christmas video. It's fun. Frank's in there. So is Ian. Um, I am. You don't remember filming that? No. Before Christmas? Mm-mm. Remember you, you were cleaning the cartridge and you materialized in the room? Oh, right. Sure. Got it. That was that was fun times. Okay. Yeah. That was your best shoot ever because it only took like 15 minutes. I'll believe you. Actually, we had to reshoot it because the sound wasn't on for it. Didn't we? Oh, we yeah. And I, so I, I felt horrible because the, the one time where it was actually quick, we had to redo yeah, it. Yeah, it was supposed to be like 20 minutes. It ended up taking like 45. It wasn't 45. It was like a half hour. All right. Um, at Tim A. Johnson, serious question. Have you ever been bullied for playing and collecting? My fiance calls me a nerd. Is, is, are you saying your fiance bullies you? you? Um, you know, for all the things I've been bullied for and made fun of when I was a kid, I don't think games was ever one of them. Um, in elementary school, what elementary? F- fuck off. Um, in elementary school, you know, most of my friends played games. It was a small, so it was a small network. So. It was cool to get a new game. It was cool to play a new game. Um, in middle school, I, 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 I was made fun of for so much shit. Who knows if games were part of it? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, by the time high school rolled around and I started collecting NES games when I was really into that, um, people actually thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, maybe they said shit behind my back, but they were like, why is this guy interested in all this old shit? But they were interested. They, you know, they were curious as to how many I had. A lot of people, not just my friends, took interest in how what what number I was up to. Um, and a lot of them didn't give me shit for it because it was a quick way for them to make twenty bucks. They'd come in with a box of you know thirty or forty games, and I'd just give them twenty bucks, and I'd oh, really? walk off happy. Yeah, oh, you were lucky. God, I wish I got into it sooner. I wish I, I wish I was into it in high school. That would have been great. No, oh, it was. It you was, imagine how much I could have got if I if I started collecting even three years earlier. Dragon Warrior two, Jesus. three, and four. I got in a lot of like thirty games for twenty bucks. I, I could have if if I started collecting in the, say I started collecting in ninety four, ninety five. I would have had stadium events. I would have got enough of like uh, I would have found a Funko Land for. Uh, bucks. If I had kept yeah. up with it and I had it moved oh, yeah. out at when I was eighteen, like right after high school, and I had actually like kept up on collecting, I would have had a full set by 2002, and it wouldn't have cost me nearly a fucking dime. If I knew I was eventually going to get a full set when I started collecting, I would have done it in like probably two and a half years, because I could have went on eBay and got them all yep. in like a year. And, mm-hmm. it, and you know what? And it wouldn't have been that much money, obviously. I could have no. got the same events for a few hundred, and I could have got the rest. I could have got Bonk's Adventure for 10 bucks or 15, whenever it was in 2001. You know. It was 15 fucking bucks up until like 2007. Nine. Six. Nine, even you think? 2008, 2009. Right. Well, I mean, I don't know. Let's see. I moved here in 2005. I was working at Luna by 2007. I'd say it was like I, 40 I probably bucks, stopped saying I probably stopped saying bonks by 2008 or nine, and it was a 15 to 35 dollar game when it would come in. Wow. Okay. So anyway, yeah, I never got bullied. Um, I never got bullied for games because everyone had games. Yeah. Even the bullies had games. Even the jocks, quote unquote, were playing games we grew up in a time where it it wasn't socially a social stigma then it became one Uh, and then it wasn't again i'll just provide this as i people have wanted me to do my dating advice show or relationship and life advice (laughs) your fiance she's probably calling you a nerd in a playful way i'm guessing but there 
there's a saying that there's a hint of truth to every joke. So maybe on some weird level she doesn't like it, but hell, I'm not saying break up with her. There's stuff about your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend that you're not going to like everything. And you have to accept it, and that's part of being in love. But if she really is bullying you, I would get out of that. <laughs> She's bullying you, slapping you around for, you nerd, you like Nintendo games. All right, next At one. cow underscore man. Cow man. Any advice for someone attending their first or second retro gaming convention, like, say, Retro Gaming Expo? Um, well, it depends. If you're looking to buy stuff, know what you're looking for. Have some sort of objective. You can get overwhelmed. Especially at a convention like Retro Gaming Expo, they literally have everything from console games going back to, to the early 70s. You can find anything there. Uh, handheld games and computer games, you can get overwhelmed. There's a lot of vendors. There's a lot to look at. So you're going to have a budget, obviously. You're not going to come with a few grand. You, I don't know what you're going to come with, $500? I don't know. I don't know what your budget is. But have a budget. Know what you're looking for. And if you see a deal, you know, yeah, go for it. But, you know, just have some sort of general direction of what you want to do. And make sure you rest a little bit. It can be, I mean, I'm sort of a manual guy, so... Retro Gaming Expo, was it three years ago? I bought literally 300 manuals there. And it was exhausting, especially since I had a booth to get back to. Um, it could get tiring. And, you know, check out a panel. Check out maybe the Live CU podcast on Saturday or the or the Pat Country panel on Sunday with the Play the Punk Challenge. And maybe I'll reveal a new book project or reveal the, you know, the fundraising campaign there. But anyway, what was I saying? Oh, about the Retro Gaming Expo or any other advice. Uh, any convention at all, though, make sure you uh, bathe. I know that's, that sounds like a, a cliche thing to say, but there are people that don't take care of their hygiene at conventions. So, that's all. And, and, and uh, I don't know. Don't blow on the NES carts. Don't blow on them, because it oxidizes them. Uh, my advice would be to uh, stay cool, Tiger. At Saito Kojima, would you guys ever do a CU podcast guiding just about your childhood school experiences? Or childhood experiences in general, I think, would be fun. I think childhood experiences in general would be fun. I on, mean... On this very special CU podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, school was not particularly awesome for me growing up, but it, I mean, I, I, I made friends with the right people, and things were not... Things were not as awful as they could have been. I mean, sure, if people wanted us to, I'd sit around and shoot the shit about being a kid, playing games, you know, you know what school was like, what my neighborhood was like, but... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... I guess... I guess I don't necessarily understand why you'd want to know that, but, I mean, if, if you do, I would do it. it it's just... I don't know. Well, maybe it's a different culture. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, if, I mean, is that your real name? I don't know if you're from a different culture, or maybe... Well, you, sure. You don't know what it's like to grow up in the suburb, suburbia America? You or know? maybe the Northeast is a lot different than the Southwest. I mean, I, I mean, by all means, I'm, I'm open to talking about that stuff. I'm open to talking about most things that people ask on the podcast, but uh, I just, you know, I feel like my, my, my childhood was... I was a little bit dorkier than average, but and I got picked on a little bit more than average, but I don't think it's that I got, unique. I got picked on a lot, but uh, I got over it. I didn't kill anyone. I had, oh, I had, a, I had a fight in eighth grade. I kind of unfortunately took it out of one kid, but that'll be part of the Guiden podcast. Yeah. Me pummeling a kid in front of the entire school. You already anyway, talked about that a on, number of times. On the podcast? Yes. Did I really on the podcast? Yeah. Oh, someone in the comments told me if, if I saw that on the podcast. Really? With the pizza and everything? Okay. <laughs> I'm fairly certain he did. How do you guys feel... This is from at Floss, Flosslow. How do you guys feel about a lot of comic movies changing the costume, gender, or race in the movies? I haven't seen them change 
the gender in the movies yet. Well, I mean, my thing is this. Um, if, if as Pat says, the comic books are as inimpor- unimportant to the movies as, as he says, I really don't care what they do with the characters. Uh, as a comic book fan, I would like them to play it close to the comic book. But honestly, if, if, if we are in a reality where comic book movies are viewed by people who do not read the comic books, I don't really give a shit what they do with costumes, gender, or race if the movie is good. You have to realize that there are alternate universes in actual comic books that take this sort of thing into account because they want to explore stories from different angles. That said, me being an actual comic reader who is a fan of comics as they are portrayed, I prefer things to be shown as they are in the comic. I'm a purist. Um, I, I want source material respected. Otherwise, don't do it and do something else. Uh, that, that's as simple as, as I'm going to say. You read a, a, com- a character like Peter Parker for 60 years, you know him as that character. That's who he is to me. If you want to do a, a character of a different gender or a different race, create a new character or get one. You know what? You know what one of my favorite characters is? Is uh, Falcon. I love Falcon. My favorite Captain America run of comics, and I, as a kid, I had for the late 60s, early 70s, was Captain America and Falcon. And he's a guy, you get him in the movie, he's a different race, and everyone's happy, I think, at that point. You're not, you're not betraying anything, you're not making another character a different race. He's Falcon. That's who he is. He's great. Same with Black Panther. You, there's no need to go in another direction, I don't think, and just to say, all right, we're going to change this to change. There's characters that exist there that you can use. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to see... I don't want to see... Uh, this is, I know it's a stupid argument because it's far less African-American characters than white, but I don't want to see Luke Cage be a white guy. I love Luke Cage. Keep him like that. And I think the, the reverse should be true, too. That's just what I, I feel about that. I, think uh, that I mean, I don't, I, don't think it, I don't think it needs to be a, a controversial topic at all. If... And I'm, I'm get, I am giving you shit a little bit here for saying that the comics don't matter. But... Um, no, no. no I mean, Marvel doesn't care about the comics. The source material still matters, though. But source material does matter to me. So if you're going to... Put, I mean, if you're going to do an X-Men movie, I want... I, I expect them to behave... Yeah. I mean, I expect them to behave and look similar to the X-Men. Same, same thing with, with, with anything. Um, it, it, that's, that's just how it is. Yeah. I, I, don't, I actually didn't have a problem with something like the... the like, like with Thor, when they made Thor a, a woman, that made sense because the, the, the hammer can go to anyone else. You know, so for that, it doesn't... Yeah, it was a cool turn. And yeah, that doesn't bother me because that fits with the character. And with Nick Fury being Sam Jack, it's just pulling from the alt, uh, Ultimate yeah. Universe. So no, you're, you're, you're pulling, from, you're pulling uh, from existing source material, and that's fine. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, like I said, it's it's almost... I wouldn't say I'd be insulted. I'm not going to pretend I'm an underrepresented minority. But I almost would be insulted if you couldn't come up with a character to represent me versus just saying, pick one that's popular and switch the race on it. And, and everything's fine. I'd rather you come up with a character that is cool that can stand on their own without just being, oh, uh, you know, it's just a, a you know a, a black version of Captain America versus going out and getting a cool character like Black Panther and putting him in, in a movie like that. That's what I'm gonna say. I don't know if people are gonna hate me for saying that, but that's I, there's a really sweet alternate cover for an upcoming Black Panther comic where he's putting his mask on like Jay Z puts his hat on for the Black album. It's awesome. I don't like Jay Z that much. Neither uh, I don't either, but it's still like a really cool conceptual cover. I keep forgetting there's going to be like these other weird movies. Not like there's going to be a Captain Marvel movie and a, and a Black Panther movie, and uh, hopefully by then it's, we're not going to be superheroed out on it. You know, 
I won't be because that's what I read, but lots of other people might be. All right. Uh, this is from my favorite Twitter handle, that ass is my boss. Is Mario Maker's success indicative of a tonal change in gaming culture? Oh, where creating is more important than playing? No, I don't think so. And uh, there's a couple of reasons why. Um, one, Mario Maker's success is, is success because it's, it's, it's Mario, and people love the fuck out of Mario. Um, the other reason why we're seeing a lot of people making levels in Mario Maker is because Mario Maker makes it really intuitive and really easy. And even though there's technically four different physics engines that you can use, Mario 1, Mario 3, Super, Super Mario World, and New Super Mario U, the creation is still very, very simple. You're still laying out things on a grid. I mean, Mario mm-hmm. has always been... It's like Mario Paint. <laughs> right. Oh, there's even somewhere in there, there is the uh, the bug tapping game. Oh, really? They put that in? Uh, oh. I found it somewhere. Awesome. I, I, I'm almost positive it was in there. If not, it was on a Wii U game somewhere, but I think it's that one. That's awesome. Um, so, it's easy to create. You're working with a grid, no matter which version you're... You, you, which, which physics engine you're working on. Mario has always existed on a large grid. Um, I don't think it's creating, though, that that's that's making people love it um, because if that was the case then games like Little Big Planet 1, 2, and 3 uh, especially with 3 being out would have a lot more attention and they'd be a lot more popular now there are millions of Little Big Planet levels uh, out there but it's not easy to jump into Little Big Planet level creating um, even if you look back at like uh, you know cre- game creation studios on the PC, like Click and Play and Games Workshop, it takes a bit of learning to get into it. With Mario, you just do it. Yeah. So what you did is people bought a Mario game and they're like, "Hey, I'm going to play all these crazy Mario levels people are creating," and then they realized how easy it was yeah. for them to do it. But you bought a Mario game. I don't think a lot of people bought this simply because there's a a tonal change. No, this is a community game. You can share your levels. It's. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Uh, Super Mario Bros. is the most popular platformer ever. Perfected the platforming genre and, and helped establish it. If it's not like if some, it's not like they, if they put out a Kid Icarus Maker game, it would sell nearly as well. You know, is, this is Super Mario. This is the game that this was designed for because of its simplicity and the fact that again, it's it's like a, the perfect platformer. Mm-hmm. So it was. This hit a sweet spot of both, where I don't think most games you could get away with. No, you know, this isn't like, you mean? I mean, hell, it's not like go back and play the Excite Bike edit mode. It's it's okay, you know, but it's not like you're going to stay up hours designing Excite Bike levels, right? You know, so something like Super Mario Brothers, it's just, and it's, it's a timeless game, and it has so many good things in it that with the minor amounts of fucking around that Mario Maker allows, with things like the fireball wands and Lukidus and letting you, you know, create pipes that spit out coins or Goombas and stuff. There's enough things in there that you can take this very simple framework and make very cool, fun things, but it's still, and here's the main key, it's easy to get started and to do it. There is no learning curve. And it has that gamepad that people hated, and, well, if you didn't have that gamepad, I doubt you'd be able to sell nearly as many copies because you can just literally go, woo, with your little... Where's the gamepad? You know what? Without the gamepad, you wouldn't have Splatoon or Mario Maker, which sold, like, fucking hotcakes, so... I, I like the gamepad. I do, too. I, I like the gamepad. At, at a King of Retro, 
Has retro gaming slash collecting just become a mainstream, in quotes, bandwagon hobby? Ian, you've seen people come into your store. From where I sit, it, I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to use the term bandwagon in a negative way because I, anyone who's interested in something, who wants to do something, should have that right and should have fun doing it. Has it become mainstream? Yeah, it's definitely become a bit more mainstream. I'm not saying everyone out there's got a fucking Nintendo collection, but everyone out there does walk into the store and go, hey, I think I want a Genesis, or hey, I think I want a Nintendo or a Super Nintendo. Uh, The phone at work is something that I just despise because it rings constantly off the hook. And it depends on what your your definition of retro is. If we go two generations back, I mean, between GameCube and N64 alone... I get 30 calls a day. Um, so it has become mainstream. I don't necessarily think anyone's jumping on it because they think it's cool. Uh, I, I think a lot of these people just want a way to unwind with something that is familiar to them. And they are more aware of it being a hobby now, and they are more aware of it being something that, if you look around in your phone book... Yeah, because people look at fucking phone books. What's a phone book? If you look around on your phone, or if you look around on eBay... You know, they realize how easy it is to get back into this now. It's not now, hard. What, now, what there are bandwagon people, there are bandwagon speculators. Sure, yes. And profiteers. Yes. You have people that have entered the hobby who are into toys, who are into other ventures, and saw and sniffed an opportunity to come in and become vultures. And I'm not saying, and I'm not saying this that people can't make money off of the hobby, but we're talking that people that strictly came in um, in order to make as much money they could and disappear from it. And, again, that's the right to do that, but when you talk about people that are buying up a few dozen dinosaur pea carts, I would argue, probably reasonably so, that's not good for the hobby. No. That's no, really I, not good for the hobby. I'll give you that. There are definitely bandwagon um, people who smell money, who are simply in it to Pe- buy, buy slab- hold, and sell. Slabber- game slabbers are mostly people that enter the hobby coming from being toy guys, and figure, well, this is like a toy. I can slab these and buy these games and mark them up. Those, th- those are m- mostly bandwagon people getting into the hobby. But you know, I mean, casual, you know, players, casual collectors. I, I don't think it's a bandwagon thing. Um, I-, I think it's really just this is uh, this is something I want to do. You know, I-, I miss this part of my childhood. I have a 360, but I miss the simplicity of the cartridge because cartridges now, don't need updating. And uh, then, you know, that's basically it. That was a callback to a previous segment. <laughs> uh, now, I will say, though, bandwagon retro game versus collecting. That could be different. Now, I, I don't... To me, it's weird when... Uh, you want to get into the hobby, then all of a sudden I want to get a complete NES collection. In, two, okay, in, sure. 2000, in 2015, yes. that to me is weird. because Just because the price alone is prohibitive to 99% of people when before it was only prohibit, prohibitive to make... Well, because then it's be- I agree with you there, because then it's become a status symbol. Yes. Once it reaches a certain price, it's no longer a collection because I'm genuinely interested in this. It's, uh, I have these expensive games. When people tell me that they got a little Samson, I bring this up before, but it's like, yeah, I got a little Samson. I'm just like... Okay, you know it's like you, you, we're no, there's no secret handshake I show you now. You know we don't get any benefits from having a little Samson. You know I bought mine because I it was one of the few games remaining and it was under 120. I think I got mine for like ninety dollars or ninety five, and that's why I bought it because at that point it was. But this you bought yours for seven hundred. 
Okay, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why you'd be proud of that for. I'm, I'm ashamed of a lot of stuff I've spent a lot of money on. Do you want to touch wieners? I mean, what do you want here? I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, you're asking rhetorically. Okay, it's making Yeah, sense. anyways. Uh, at Ryan EO Speedwagon. Well, at RyeGuy176. Was he a Rye back then? My local pawn shop is starting to sell bootleg games, and they know for a fact that they're bootleg. Thoughts? Okay, so I have to take this as two separate questions. And I'm, I'm, I'm in a gray area on both. But, well, no, I mean, I'm definitely decided on one and gray on the other. If, because you didn't specify, if they know they are bootleg and they are not telling anyone. They know for a fact they're bootleg. Right. But if they know they are bootleg and they are not telling anyone, then uh, my thoughts are, uh, I mean, the obvious thoughts, that's bullshit. Uh, I mean, that's horseshit. If they know they are bootleg, if they are selling them as such, and they are selling them for an appropriate price, and it's not something currently in print, so that people aren't losing money, my opinion gets a little bit murkier. And it's only because I know of people who collect certain bootlegs. I know people who collect Pokemon bootlegs, including the weird ones, like, you know, I don't know what the fuck they're called anymore, but, like, the the weird, like, Game Boy and Game Boy Advance ones, like, you know, Pokemon, you know, fucking Boner Red, and Pokemon, you know, Deep Pearl, you know, Blonde, and, I mean, they get all these weird names and shit, and they're these weird little hacks, and they're sold as bootlegs. Like, I understand that. Um, I actually, that doesn't bother me too much. Now, if they're selling bootlegs of... Fire red, leaf green, gold, silver, blue, red, yellow. Uh, even if they're announcing it, that to me is actually a little bit different because those are generally poorly made, and you can get legit copies. I guess what I'm saying is I understand, and I'm, I'm just really using Pokemon as the example because that's where most of the bootlegs are. I understand the curiosity of getting all these weird colors and all these bizarre ones that came out of, you know, China and Hong Kong. Uh, that might interest some people. Um, but bootleg carts in general are crappily made. Uh, and if they're selling them without people knowing, I, I would have to say that that's, uh, you know, obviously total bullshit. Um, you're going to see more and more sort of, uh, situations situation like this happen and people trading in fakes at GameStop. I know, I know someone emailed me or alerted me to the fact that you can go online and buy fake, I guess in bulk. I mean, you knew this before, but you can find the, find the, the fake GBA... Pokemon games in bulk and get them from overseas and have them come over here. People used to do it all the time. I always get sketchy when people bring me a complete set of uh, Game Boy Advance Pokemon games and everything looks perfect. I I mean, without even, I mean, barely without even looking at them, I'm like, these are bootleg. They bought a complete set offline for 30 bucks, not knowing they were bootleg, and they're bootleg and they want to get rid of them, and then a cursory glance at them tells me that they are, and I turn them away. You can. You can totally do that. So should we bust up the pawn shop? Yeah, <laughs> is, this, is this the Pawn Stars story? You bringing the expert to look at your Game Boy Advance games? <laughs> I don't think you need an expert to determine a bootleg Pokemon cartridge. It's pretty easy. Pokemon geez, Pawn Stars, what a nutty show! Who would go on that? All right, so we have a Patreon for the podcast. It's Patreon.com/slash/pixelsicle. P X L S I C L. It's so easy to type and pronounce and get people to. <laughs> anyway, um, so we got that going on. We're going to be at a. I'm going to be at Retropalooza by the time you hear this, so... If you knew I was going to be there, come out and see me. <laughs> uh, that's September 26th and 27th, and today's the 23rd. Jesus. 
And then um, we'll be in Portland Retro Gaming Expo October 17th and 18th in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Oregon. I got a book that's being worked on. Pat the Indian's Punk's returning. My appetite's returning. This time I bought my burrito before the podcast so I can eat it later. My nice surf burrito. And then um, we'll see you in a couple weeks on October the 7th. So any last words, Ian? I think you're all swell. I think most of you are swell. Most. Some of you are probably swole as well. 90% swell, 75% swole. Ian's getting swole. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Combat ropes? Uh, like, battle ropes. Battle ropes? I think. Huh? Been going like four days a week. You, that's when you actually, uh, you feel better? Are we going? Uh, I've got a lot more stamina. I, almost too much. It's not helping my sleep in any way, shape, or fucking form. That's so, you gotta wear yourself out more then. I'm wearing myself out. It's the adrenaline rush. Ask any doctor. That's why my old doctor told me not you to exercise too, you, at night. You have too much adrenaline? Yeah, I, I mean, I get home from the gym at 10, and I fucking pace around for two and a half hours before I can even sit down. Wow, okay. Oh, man. Okay. Sorry for that yawn. Oh, by the way, idiots online, when I yawn, it's not because... I I know Ian's boring sometimes, but I'm not yawning because I think Ian's boring, because I'm fucking tired. If you didn't figure that out, we record this late after a long day. Anyway, for Ian Ferguson... I'm Pat Contry. Wow, I'm never this angry at the end of a podcast. Bye. Uh, Bye.